3: And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey, folks. I just want to take a minute to ask you to go in, rate this podcast, uh, let the team house know how you think we're doing, Go and rate us on whatever platform you're listening to this on, whether it's iTunes or Spotify or whatever else. Uh, Those ratings really help us out, and we really appreciate the feedback to let us know what you like and what you don't like. And uh, if you do like the team house and you'd like to support us, go check out our Patreon page, and you can actually support the stream as well as get access to our bonus segments and bonus episodes.
2: Yeah, if if you're going to give us a great review, please do. And if you're going to give us a not so good review, why don't you just send us an email and we'll talk about it. (laughs) Special Operations.
3: Covert Ops. Espionage. The Team House. With your hosts, Jack Murphy and David Park. Hey guys, welcome to episode 235 of the team house. I'm Jack Murphy. I'm a, is it over here? Oh, sorry guys. My phone was on. Apologies. Uh, so episode 235 of the team house. We're here with our guest tonight, Brent Tucker. I'm Jack Murphy here with David Park. Uh, first thing I just want to tell you guys real quick about sponsor of tonight's show, uh, Dark State if you guys are a fan of tom clancy or jack carr or vince flynn which i know a lot of our listeners are then you'll love dark state it's book one in the jason trap action thriller series which is available on audible and amazon kindle it's about jason trap who is betrayed uh, a betrayed cia operative who's a feared assassin but someone sold him out and he lost everything and everyone and as america reels from the deadliest terrorist attacks it's ever witnessed traps personal vendetta leads him right back to where he started duty to his country the violence the terror the assassination of his partner it's all connected with fifteen thousand reviews and an average of 4.5 star ratings on amazon the book is gripping and thrilling if you're an audio fan which i assume many of you are uh, since you listen to this show the audiobook really does bring the story alive in a dramatic fashion so please head to audible or kindle and uh, check it out now you can get your copy of dark state book one in the jason trap series so With that said, Brent, again, uh, thank you for being on the show tonight. Really appreciate you joining us on a Friday evening.
1: Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I I truly do appreciate it.
3: So, uh, again, because I I got a little distracted in the beginning, uh, Brent uh, is a 20-year veteran of Army Special Operations. He served in 20th Special Forces Group, and then he served in Delta Force deploying to afghanistan iraq and syria uh today he runs uh the first responder coffee company and he's also the co-host of the anti-hero podcast uh we're really happy to have you here today brent and uh you know i'll kind of start it off from the top asking the same question i ask all of our guests about their origin story if you could tell us a little bit about where you grew up what your upbringing was like and sort of how that took you on a path towards the military
1: yeah um the uh, I, I grew up in a small town in Florida, uh, Sanford, Florida, working in a family business. We own, you know, Tucker's Farm and Garden Center that my grandfather started. Um, that was, I was one of the few people who didn't want to leave my small town. Um, and I just wanted to work in the family business. Uh, you know, my, feel like my, my path in life was, was already set and I was more than happy to go down that path. Um, I definitely wasn't a, uh, um, an adrenaline junkie as a kid I was a pretty quiet kid uh so definitely not someone you would have uh you, you would have pegged for for anything in the special operations realm or even leaving town at, at any <laughs> point
3: so so how did that happen I mean if you were on this track of like going on taking over the
1: family business yeah um so the September 11th happened I mean I I had it's, it's crazy. September 10th, September 10th, I'm uh, 20 years old, you know, still chugging down that, that same path uh, that, I, that I was on as a, as a little kid. September 11th happened and, uh, you know, it, it changed, it changed my world the same way it changed a lot of people's world. Um, I, uh, I knew I wanted to do something. Uh, uh I, I, I made a, a decision that day that I, I kind of would make, time and time again, throughout my, my military career, when I, when I had to come to make a, dis, a big decision, which was, I, I didn't want to live a life with regrets. You know, I didn't want to be, I didn't want to be 70 years old, you know, looking back and said, man, when I was 20, our, our country got attacked, almost 3000 people died. And I felt like I should have done something, but mm, I just played it safe and stayed in my small town. Um, that, that honestly is the, um, I mean, there's the genesis right there. That that line of thinking started it. Uh, I I raised my hand. Uh, it took me till September 27th to actually uh, sign the paperwork, um, and off I went. The and I, and I only meant to uh, to to do is you know a, a four year stint and then and come right back to uh, to my small town. And yeah, as the saying goes, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. Uh, I couldn't have been any more wrong and i continued to be wrong about my career uh as as it progressed
3: so so what did you uh en- enlist as as far as like your MOS what what was kind of like your plan going into the military the one that god laughed at of course
1: yeah when when i i knew nothing about the military and i mean well next to nothing my dad would take me to to air shows my my dad wanted to be a a a fighter pilot so bad i guess when he was uh in his late teens uh, then eyesight got him, and so he didn't. He didn't get a chance uh, to chase that dream. So I definitely grew up in a military-friendly family. You know, we watched war movies. You know, my dad made us watch all the Vietnam documentaries, and I loved it. Um, so we were we were a military-friendly family, but no one was talking about joining, and I had no idea what I was going to join. So um, a good friend of mine. Uh, that I went to high school with, Jessica Butters. Her dad was, was a, I, all I knew is that he was in the military. I, I knew nothing more than that. Um, come to find out, he was a CW-4 at a uh, National Guard unit, a National Guard Air Defense Artillery unit um, out of Daytona Beach. So he was the first, he was the only person I, I knew. So I, I went to him and said, hey, uh, you know, our country got attacked. I want to do something about it. And so I, I came to him. He gave me pretty good advice. Uh, He's like, Hey, uh, I'm in the national guard. Um, I think you should do that. You'll get a chance to fight. You'll get called up. Um, but, uh, but, you know, you don't have to go away for four years. It sounded like a good plan to me. Sound like I was going to get what I wanted, which was to deploy. Um, and so I went to the recruiter that he recommended me to go to and for a guy who wanted to join the, the military and fight, I got put in Air Defense National Guard, which may not have seen a lot of action. So that was that was. Uh, it took me about a year to to. Well, probably took it took it took less than a year for me to figure that out. Um, but you know, figuring it out's one thing, but doing something about it is is is, is another. So as soon as, uh, as soon as I got a basic in AIT, we did get mobilized to go to the invasion of Iraq. And we sat around for like six months in Fort bliss. And, um, at that point we had a, a sister battery coming back from Afghanistan. And so I couldn't wait to talk to those guys to see what war was like. And, uh, I asked them and, uh, they did like a fourteen-month deployment to Afghanistan, uh, and I found out that was this a was a, bar- a
3: Patriot missile battery that you were with, Brent? Sorry to interrupt.
1: Yeah, it, uh, so that would have been um, a part of 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 the unit. I me in particular, I was in uh, short-range air defense, which was Stinger missile operator. Okay, so cool. or Stingle yeah, so shoulder-fired Stinger missiles, fourteen mike. Which eventually became 14 Sierra, because um, I had to go to the little bit longer course to do the uh, the Avengers, like mm-hmm. that that uh, Humvee with the 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 four missiles uh, on each side of the turret. So that's a, the Avengers. So that's that's what I went to school for. But when those guys went overseas for 14 months and came back, they just guarded the gates. That was all they did. They did nothing but guard the gates. Um, which which was my worst fear come true. I kind of eventually was slowly figuring out. I don't think the Taliban has a lot of helicopters to shoot down, and I'm not sure my skill set will be utilized in the war on terror. Um, so I asked those guys and said, "Hey, what? Uh, like then who was doing things?" And uh, they 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 told these stories that were probably a little bit true, but uh, a little bit embellished. They'd be like, oh man, these special forces guys, these green brays would, would come on to uh would come to our come to our gate with blood all over their Humvees. And I'd have to be like, hey, Sergeant, uh, I need your IDs. And they'd be like, F you, just open the <laughs> gate. And so I was like, So what'd you do? I was like, well, he, I opened the gate. What do you what'd you expect me to do? I was like, man, uh, and a part of me was like, those guys kind of sound like assholes. And the other part of me was like, those guys sounded really cool. So, the uh, um, I eventually found out about 20th Special Forces Group, which is a National Guard group, um, and that started really my 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 whole first fight trying to trying to do that because we were we were mobilized at the time, getting ready to go, and that was the nail in the coffin. It was like, I don't I don't I don't want to do this. I want to do that. Um, And so it's very difficult as a National Guardsman who's already mobilized. And we went through the whole mobilization process and what, you know, we're supposed to be, uh, even though we didn't leave when we were supposed to, they were going to just kind of hold us in this limbo as a mobilized unit. They could call any time. And so we sat there for months at at El Paso waiting for a call that never came. Um, So I started fighting with my, my, company leadership then telling me hey i want to go to special forces i want to go to national guard uh to 20th group um they kept saying no they, they told me all sorts of lies like well you have to be an e5 to to go be a green beret so you'll have to wait a few years um yeah I, i've been just talked to a few more people found out that wasn't true you know i, I mean just uh, 20th group when in a weird way has a lot of like with other national guard units has a lot of myths like mm-hmm. surrounding it. Right. Um, and you're like, Oh, well you can't go to 20th group. Cause you have to be, you know, a, an active duty, special forces guy first. And when they come out, that's how they go to 20th group. I mean, just all sorts of things that just weren't true. Um, I eventually found, I don't know if you guys remember this. You guys remember the uh, AKO white pages? Oh, yes. oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's how I found my 20th group recruiter. I went to the AKO White pages and I Googled uh spe- 20th Special Force Googled probably went, uh, searched uh 20 Special Forces and I actually found a recruiter number uh, out of Ocala, Florida, which would have been the closest one to me. So I'm still deployed or mobilized in, in Texas, and I call them and uh I still remember the guy who picked up because I ended up, Yeah, he was a support guy there and, and was a recruiter. He picks up the phone, Sergeant First Class Carry and uh, and I was like, hey, I just want to introduce myself. Uh, my name is Private First Class Tucker, and I, I want to be a Green Beret. <laughs> and he asked me like two quick questions, awesome. uh, like, yeah, how long have you been? He was like, Private First Class, where are you at? I told him, he was like, how long have you been in? Um, And I told him, and he basically goes, "Uh, call me back in like a year. And then hangs up the phone. And again, I was like, "Man, these guys are kind of dicks." <laughs> I, th- I think maybe I'm a dick, but that's like, I don't know. I kind of want to like I, I love that like, like you're not good enough and you have to prove yourself and you know this.
3: Yeah, it's like you know, Fight not Club. Everyone... You got to come and stand out in front of the door and wait, wait your turn.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's not this everyone gets a trophy mentality. I can't can't wait to welcome you. You know, I you know I I I enjoyed that. We 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 demobilized a few short months later. Uh I, I called him right back um and talked to someone else on the phone who was a little more welcoming and told him my sob story. And they said, you know what, come over here and do a uh do a small tryout and we'll and and we'll see. Um so I show up knowing absolutely nothing to this small tryout. I knew they told me to get ready to, to rock and do a PT test at least. And so I said, Okay. And I showed up not knowing anything, but knowing that, hey, like all I know about soldiering is like, boots and uniform matters. Uh, and I'm not a Green Beret yet, so I better show up with with polished boots and a press uniform. Uh, and I did that, and I was immediately scolded for it and told to get into to PTs <laughs> and uh, don't, don't ever wear those around here again unless there's some sort of award ceremony going on. And I said, <laughs> OK, I like this place already. Um, I did the I uh, did the PT test and the and the ruck and uh, I I did very well on it. Um, they said, "Hey, we want to bring you over to our program and send you a selection as soon as possible. Go back and tell your unit that you want to uh, that you want to transfer over here." And that's where the real fight kind of started. You know, they 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 had already been giving me a bunch of you know uh, slow rolling me, and now they just simply told me, "Nope." Uh, we're not going to send you. But like before the mobilization, we sent a couple guys over there. They never make it. You know, I'm, don't waste our time with the paperwork. Don't waste your time. We're just not going to send you over there. Uh, so I carried that message back to 20th group and uh, the, the sergeant major uh, laughed at it and said, hold on, I'll, I'll make a phone call. They can't. It's, it's I told you to do that, but it's really not up to them. Uh, so he makes a, a phone call. Um, I go back to work a couple of days later. They're like, "Well, you got what you want. Um, I hope you're happy. We'll we'll see you in a couple months when you don't make it," which was one of the best things they could have done for me because I absolutely trained my ass off. Uh, I couldn't stand them anymore. I I did you know I had too much pride to get to, to fight that hard and then you know have to swallow it and come back and and tell them I wasn't good enough. I go to selection a few months later. Uh, I, I come, I come back, uh, I think I had to turn in some gear that I still had from them. And for whatever reason, I was kind of hoping that, uh, they'd be like, Hey, we were wrong about you. Good job. You're like the only guy that's ever, that's ever made it. Uh, instead they were like, well, guess what? You haven't made it yet. You know, half the guys don't make the Q course. So you'll be right back. And, uh, that was the last time I saw him and I'll tell you how petty I can be. When I retired 20 years later after the Delta Force, a part of me wanted to drive down there <laughs> and and shove my 214 in their face and say, see, see, see what I did. Uh, but of course, I think everyone there would have been. Yeah, they were like, who are you? Yeah. yeah. So that's how that's how I got to. Uh, that's how we got the 20th group. Um, I was. Um uh, unfortunate no, I was unfortunate enough to be smart, um, <laughs> which means I got to be an 18 Echo. Um, I put after selection, I put down the four MOS's I, I wanted. I put Bravo, Charlie, Echo, Delta. Um, I sure as heck didn't want to be a Delta. Uh they said, Congratulations, you got you, you got you got your top three is, is what the guy told me. And I was like, what's that mean? He goes, uh, you're an echo. It was in your top three. It was only four choices. It was, it was second to last is what, is what I viewed it as. Um, there's two reasons I wasn't real happy about getting neck, being an echo is because at the time they had a longer, uh, cue course than Bravo and Charlie. Uh, and so at, at that time in, and in, in 2002, everybody thinks the wars are going to go away if you don't hurry up and get over there. So, I wanted a short MOS Bravo or Charlie, you know, I wanted to try to clip out of Spanish and, you know, and, and be in Afghanistan and, you know, 8, 9, 10 months. I mean, the Q course is already long enough with without without. The rest of that um, again, my what I wanted never seems to, to work out and I always have to just deal with what I got. So I got echo. Um, I stayed there longer. Uh, I, I tried, I tried to test out of Spanish. I, I missed it by like 2 questions. Um, and, uh, of course, the, you know, the jokes on me, I, I didn't get to miss, maybe I missed the deployment. So instead of 13, maybe, maybe I'd have have had 14 if, uh, if I got out of there a little quicker. (laughs) Um, but yeah, there's, there's, uh, there was a lot of war left and, and really, I, I look back at that generation of, of Q course guys. And they were good dudes, man. I'm telling you, I, I couldn't be, I still talk to some of those guys in the Q course to this day. Uh, they were such good dudes uh, and they went on to do amazing things and really little did we know that era of Q course students was really going to see mm. 15 years of war after mm-hmm. that, which, which really may be the, the, the most amount of combat, you know, any other generation was, was going to see. And we, we had, we we had no idea what what what, uh, what we were in for.
2: Uh, Brent, real uh, quick. Uh, sorry, real quick. We just need to uh, shout out to our to our two other sponsors for tonight. Um, a so uh, VPN. Everybody should have a VPN. Our sponsor tonight is Private Internet Access or PIA VPN. Um, you should use a VPN, uh, and PIA VPN has apps that you can put on your computer, on your phone, on your smart TV. It's good security for you. Plus, if you like to stream um, Spotify, if you like to stream Netflix, you know, a lot of different times, a lot of these streaming services have content based on the country. So even American movies that may not be available in the US uh, might be available in Korea or Japan at the time. So you can change the settings on your VPN to give you a a completely different country starting point. Um, plus, it protects you when you're in public places, when you're in cafes, when you're in airports, when you're in all these different places. Um, having a VPN will protect you from man-in-the-middle t- uh, attacks and, and different types of things. You don't have to be doing anything nefarious to want to protect your privacy uh, and your security. Um, so if you want to enjoy all the benefits of private Internet access, now's the time to subscribe. Head to PIAVPN.com. Slash teamhouse and get eight an 83% discount. Seriously, 83%. That's just $2.03 a month. And you also get four extra months completely for free. But you must go to P-V-A, PIAVPN.com slash, uh, slash Team House for a truly private digital life. One last time, PIA, that's papia India Alpha, VPN, Victor Papua November, dot com slash
3: team house. and the other sponsor for tonight's show is hello fresh with hello fresh you get farm fresh pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep skip trips to the grocery store and count on hello fresh to make home cooking easy fun and affordable that's why it's america's number one meal kit When it comes to options, honestly, more is more, and that's why HelloFresh's menu includes 40 recipes and over 100 add-on items you can choose from each week. A busy fall schedule doesn't always leave you with time to spare, and with HelloFresh, you don't need to spend all evening in the kitchen and whip up a wholesome meal. With their quick and easy recipes and 15-minute meals, you get a tasty dinner on the table in less time than it takes to get takeout or delivery. And we have used HelloFresh here in the studio, the three of us, and we've all really enjoyed it. Um, sent us a new batch, and uh, I ate them. Sorry. <laughs> Thank you, D. It,
2: it was delicious.
3: <laughs> D's a blue falcon. So go to HelloFresh.com slash 50teamhouse and use the code 50teamhouse for 50% off plus 15% off the next two months. So go to HelloFresh.com slash 50teamhouse and use code 50teamhouse for 50% off plus 15% off the next two months. So please go and check out HelloFresh. They are America's number one meal kit. Thank you, guys. With lucky
0: landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
1: Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom?
0: Sorry. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
2: Brent, I want to ask you a little bit about how 19th and 20th group are structured because we know that the different SF groups generally have, you know, are assigned an area and and aligned to a particular area. How, like, how did they choose your language? How are 19th and 20th group, the, the guard units, aligned?
1: Yeah. At 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 the time, uh, a a battalion aligned with a group, so third battalion, twentieth group, aligned with seventh uh, special forces group. So I, I got Spanish because our our battalion was aligned with seventh. Okay. That's, yep. Yeah. Um, the well, which which really kind of gets me into to, to my days with with 20th special forces group as a green beret. Um, I. I was uh I spent my whole guard time as a you know as a as a single guy just being a guard bum I just went from set of orders from school to school to deployment to deployment uh, and just stayed active the the whole time and I loved it I absolutely loved it um as soon as I graduated the Q course I was on a c130 down to down to Bolivia for uh for for a month um I I had only I'd only got to see you know the the different ODAs in the company a few times and I saw these uh I saw these guys on the dive team who were just who were just better than everyone else and and were more than happy to prove it. And um I my senior echo on my first ODA was going was going to dive school because he wanted to go to the to the dive team. And uh and by by the 2nd or 3rd time, you know, we, we had done some training together. He looked at me, he goes, hey, you should go to dive school too. Um, and so I was like, I'd i love to go to dive school. He goes, yeah, it's, it's easy. Just, you know, raise your hand. There's always slots go to dive school. So, I'm getting ready to go down to South America and j- just like he said, you know, all you had to do was say, you wanted to go to dive school. and They'll put you in a slot. So, I go down to South America. Uh, I start training for dive school before South America. Um, as soon as I get to South America um i get an email uh, back, back to ako again i get an ako email saying that uh funding fell through and don't worry about don't worry about dive school and so i said okay so for the next 3 weeks um i i went on a very different uh training uh regime and uh, partied my ass off <laughs> and had a great time. Uh, we, you know, we trained hard. We partied hard. It was a great first um, first experience. In fact, that team I went down there with had, you know, their their Bravo on their team. I'm, you know, uh, went to the unit before me. Their 18 Delta on the team uh, went to the unit as a, as a medic before me. It was a, it was a stacked team. Um, of, of great dudes, uh, that were seasoned guys, you know, they, they had all, they'd all been to Afghanistan already and multiple trips and they'd all been on the team for like five, six, seven years. So it was a great, great first trip learning. I was the only Echo on the team. So, uh, you know, it was a great experience as a new guy to have all the combo to, to fall on me. It was a real cool experience going to hotels and setting up a, you know, SATCOM, you know, PSE5 and, you know, shooting out, uh, reports, you know, from a hotel room uh, in different cities and in, in Bolivia, just kind of a, in civilian clothes as, as you're traveling around. So just, a, just, you know, definitely a cool experience. And in, in that part, um, it's a couple days before dive school is supposed to start. And I'm at a roadside cafe in Bolivia and I get an email, uh, it's an ATARS notification saying uh giving me, you know, details and checking into dive school. Um, <laughs> so I went to the I went to the warrant officer on the team and uh I said, Hey, this is probably nothing, but I I I did get this ATARS notification. And he's like, Well, if you have an ATAR slot, you're you're going. Like you need <laughs> to get on a plane right now and go to Key West. Um, I I was both excited to hear that and also uh you know, it it like a getting punched in the gut. Going, I, I'm not ready for this. Uh, <laughs> let, let's hope my you know uh, uh, you know. But there's a lot of things you can do when you're 24 that uh, that you can't do later on in life. So, I, uh, you know, not not to make these stories long, but you know, just kind of you know, I I get in a a uh, a a one way rental car and we drive like. Me and one other guy that was going to go back with me drive like nine hours straight. And there is these massive unrest going on because of the uh, the elections just happened and no one's happy with the 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 election. And there's roadblocks everywhere. We don't our Spanish actually wasn't too bad, but it it wasn't enough to be by ourselves negotiating roadblocks. (laughs) Um, We just randomly gave people money that. You know, I just kept on giving them money until they seemed to be less angry with us and and they let us go. We get to the airport and uh, we landed on a military base dirt runway in the middle of the night, unloaded and left. So I didn't get my passport stamped when I get to the uh, when I get to the airport, we're trying to load up and the guy's like, hey, Something's weird. You don't have a stamp on your passport. How how'd you get in the country? And I remember the last thing my warrant officer told me uh was, hey, if you, if you get in any trouble, you know, here's here's the here's the here's the number to the embassy. Call this guy. He he's our fixer. And so uh I didn't give him an answer about how we got in here. I just said, Hey, uh, you should probably call this guy first. And the guy told me, he goes, I don't care who that guy is. How did you get in our country? And you can go ahead and and uh, start looking at other flights because you're not getting on this one. And I was like, you know, okay, that that sucks, but you know, call this guy. He walks away. Thirty seconds later, he looks at me with disgust. He just takes my passport and he stamps it and he says, "Get out of here." To this day, I don't know who that guy was. I don't know what he told him. Uh, but you know, just that it was at the end of the, it was a very cool non-combat first experience of, of of being a Green Beret and just you know doing things that really is really unique to uh to Green Berets. Um I end up I, I get a I, I fly right to Miami um and check into die school and proceed to have the worst six weeks of my life, (laughs) um, pool week was absolutely horrible. Like, you know, I, I quit doing breath holds. I was not ready for it. Um, I was, I got dragged out of the pool, you know, almost every day and and asked why, why I suck so much. Um, and I just, I remember calling my dad at one point and saying, uh, Hey dad, you know, the Q course has been a lot, you know, just went on a trip down South. Now I'm in, now I'm in dye school. Um, it's just, it's really tough right now. Uh, I think, I think I just need to come home for a little bit. And, and, but my dad is not the, the, uh, the guy to, to cry on his shoulder. Uh, he's, he's just a very hard man. But, uh, but I also never complained to my dad about anything. Uh, so I think my dad knew if I was calling him to tell him things were pretty tough right now. He just said, do what you got to do, son. I said, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll call you tomorrow and, and let, you know, and, uh, every day I showed up to the pool and had to fake motivation. Like I wanted to be there when it was everything I didn't want to do. And, uh, I never called my dad back and told him that I wasn't coming or was coming. My dad said he, he figured that when I didn't call back, uh, he, he knew. And again, my dad's just a, a hardcore guy. So stock, like he's gonna call me and, and ask what's wrong. That was just the the odd random conversation we had. Um, it was a fleeting moment of weakness. Um, I, I'll come back to that story here in a little bit because I I tell on myself later in my career saying, "Hey, this is the hardest thing uh, I've ever done," and I'll I'll tell you the one particular like time. It was like the end of pool week, and you're just you know you're just physically exhausted. Um, and uh, they, they put us in and again, and part of it was why it was so hard is because I, I wasn't ready for it. So, I mean, I'm not saying it would have been easy otherwise, but it, I definitely didn't help myself out. They put us in the pool and they're going to have us do these um uh sprints and they said, hey, and they told us, hey, bring bring 2 shirts to the pool this day. Um And so, at the very end of the day, they. uh They said hey get get one shirt wet take your take your brown shirt off put them in both your hands and that's what you're going to swim in to get to the other side of the pool these two soggy shirts and uh, they said pays to be a winner first one to the other side of the pool gets to get out and um, and so everyone you know swam as hard as they could to get to the other side of the pool and uh, they didn't let anyone out of the pool they're like hey but that's not this round (laughs) um they send us back and forth back and forth like 15 times no one gets out of the pool um and it sounds dramatic but it's just true like guys are getting fished out of the pool because you know they're 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 cramping up um and they're giving it their all and they're just and i remember thinking you know looking to the guy beside me on on the gunnel and and we didn't say it but we both you know looked at each other and just you know said this sucks um yeah that 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 look at that empty look in another guy's eyes, when he's, when he's just giving it his Done. all. Yeah. And yeah, we've yeah. all, we've all been there. Um, and I remember thinking to myself, I got one more in me. And if, uh, if they don't get us out of the pool, um, I'm, I'm quitting, cause I'll end up at the bottom of this pool if they send me again. So they send us again, I get to the other side of the pool and I'm talking, I'm, I'm, coaxing myself up you know well this is it's time it's, it's time to quit it's time to quit and me and that guy look at each other one more time and uh we both kind of shake our heads like this sucks and um and he goes f it i quit and gets out of the pool and i remember looking at him getting out of the pool and thinking you quitter i can't believe <laughs> what is wrong with you Knowing that I was just as big as I, if he would have beat me to it, I probably I, I probably would have quit. And uh, and just, but I do remember watching him quit. Just disgusted me. And uh, <laughs> I stayed in the pool. We went back and forth there six or seven times. Oh but I, I guess maybe he he left me some of his energy on on uh on the way out. Uh, super glad I got die school out uh, out of the way early in my career. Uh, Um, like insert joke here, but like, like most divers, uh, I'm a a proud diver and really, uh, really proud of that accomplishment. Um, the, and it it got me to work on the best ODA I I ever worked with the best group of guys. Uh, Honestly, I ended up having 1 of my best deployments in my military was a twentieth group deployment with that dive team running the commandos out of afghanistan we were just you know just when a group of of really good friends deploy together have the same mindset uh and just wanted to get after it um to to this day one one of my one of my one of my best experiences in the military and and dive school is what it kind of afforded me that uh that possibility
2: i you know it's interesting because i, I want to paint sort of a picture for people who may not understand earlier when you're talking about going to dive school or you know the, the chance to go to combat diver school you know you said you, the the senior echo said there are always billets available there's always slots open and and the reason for that is because combat diver is such a notoriously hard school that people don't sign up for it in general like it is it's one of those schools that somebody has to generally be really motivated
1: to go to because it is such like a dick dryer uh, i don't know if i'd have gone back i, I don't know I mean, I mean i mean i thankfully i didn't have to make that decision i, I i'd like to think that uh, with a little bit of rest and you know I'd have, I'd, have, I'd have got back on there um i was really lucky in uh in my career that to have uh, not have recycled uh to not have uh, we'll get to it a little bit. There's 1 thing I recycled, but, it, but SF didn't didn't hand that to me. Um, and, and die school with it. I'm not saying the Q course was easy by no means with the Q course easy. You know, the Q course had really tough days in it. Uh, but just. For just an absolute smoke session day in day out, you know, running red line the whole time dive school without a doubt was the hardest military school i went to yeah
3: so talk to us about that that deployment that it led you into with the Kandak commandos
1: oh yeah so we um i had uh i had i'd been selected uh for for the unit um actually uh i i I got selected and I, I told him, to, hey, we're on the verge of a of another deployment and I and I want to go back to this uh um well I should say my second time at selection, I get selected and and we're going uh I want to do this this deployment with 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 our guys, this one last hurrah, if off, you will. And I told them that. And and they and they were like, absolutely you just not going anywhere, go, you know, go 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 fight with your guys. I think they they respected that. Um, so I go to, so that was really cool in a weird way, kind of being a, a made man and and 20th group as a a guy already selected to go to the unit. Um, and, uh, it, it was such a great mission. Um, so we didn't have any air assets dedicated to us, you know, we didn't, but we got a lot of aviation assets given to us by the battle space owner. And how those deals usually worked was of course we're, you know, you know, we're uh we had plenty of direct action targets that we collected the intel for. And we, you know, we uh here's a here's a blast from the past if you remember terms like JPEL targets. Mm-hmm. Um so we had our our list of JPES to go after, but most of them required to to do it properly, you know, aviation assets. Um and the battle space owner was interested in giving us Aviation assets, but the, the battle space owner is actually a, a really, a really good dude. Um, and uh, he also wanted to work out of us and smartly. So um, he would give us assets if we would do missions for him and what he wanted from us was to take our commandos and do valley clearing operations for, for his conventional forces, which really. Was, which is a great opportunity, you know, really for us too. like, and and he's absolutely right. Like, that's the commandos should have been at the very forward edge of those. Valley clearing operations, you know, taking bullets that so Americans don't have to, it's, it's, it's their country. They're a motivated unit. They were more than happy to do it. Um, they had a short shelf life. So, if it wasn't, you know, if I can't remember the exact hours It's 48 or 72 and uh, trust me, they, they knew what the, the shelf life was. It's even it's in their charter and I want to say it's 72. So, if, you know, if 72 hours is about to come up, they'll they let, you know, hey, we're our, our work's done here. This is, this is, as, this is as much as we're allowed to suck and. And, and on more than 1 occasion for a unit. That can't logistically do anything on their own. If they're on an operation, a valley clearing operation, then longer than 72 hours, they'll they will find taxis to come pick them up in the <laughs> middle of the woods. All of a sudden, they're logistical masters and can find their way back to base. Mm. <laughs> but they can't find their way to a mission to save their life. Um that's I know I just said they were, they and they were a great partner for us, but that's that was a uh that was a reality of them. I'm telling you, I feel like uh you know the the more experience I got in SF, the more Robin Sage was real. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I remember being Robin Sage going, I have to show up and beg these, you know, these fake G's to let me in their camp and to, to and to fight with me. Like we're in the real world, we Americans with with you know with bombers and suitcases full of money. No one's. Yeah, you know, I don't have to. I don't have to beg anyone to come fight with us. Uh, and there I am in Afghanistan, begging our commandos not to leave us. Going, I. Am I in Robin Sage right now? This is. This is crazy, um, but sure enough, happened on more than one occasion. Um, but those valley clearing operations were great. Uh, they, they did suck. I mean, everyone prefers to to get on a helicopter, hit a target in the middle of the night and not miss a meal or workout. Um, they they could be trying, you know, even even those. You know, even, and they're still considered short duration missions at three and four days. Um, I'm I'm sure there's some conventional guy listening to me whining about being out for three or four days. Um, but they, uh, you know, when it was cold, it was freezing cold. When it was hot, it was miserably hot. And uh, they would reserve. The commando unit to go down the worst parts of the valley, again, rightfully so, and that's exactly where we wanted to be. But you know, we did those valley uh, clearing operations. You know, if they teed it up for us and they teed it up for us right, then then they put us right in the in the in the thick of thing, uh, in the thick of things. And we got to do a lot of good work. Um, that there's there's a couple of really cool stories that that actually come from that particular uh, mission uh that deployment. Uh we were the and I don't I don't know who keeps track of these stats. I remember them telling me, but you know, uh adding up our, you know, our the the various kills you get as an ODA they and they you know they uh they give you your cast, you know, kills and your small arms kills. And you know we were up in the you know high couple hundreds and uh and they said that you we know, uh we were the you know the, the leading ODA in country uh in kills. Which really wouldn't have been hard. It's not, and although we were a really good ODA, it's not because we were amazing. We we thought we were, Um, but they put us they put us in a good area with the commandos. So we 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 operated in in all of the east N2KL. Um, I used to be able to tell you what N2KLS did for. I could probably get most of the uh, most of the acronyms, Um, and it was just a hot spot at that time. So we we had the we had the 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 right partner force and the hottest. Uh, area of the country um one mission was a uh a fair you're know, not it, it was a great mission but it's not necessarily the the one you want to get woken up for mm. yeah i told you that battalion commander was was a great dude um he calls our our team leader and our team sergeant into the office he's like hey um i need you guys and uh and i guess he's you know, he's, he's he's teared up you know asking for this help you know my, my team sergeant's like uh my team Sergeant uh, Rick Spear. He goes, what do you need? You know, he's always given us aircraft. He's always been real, real good to us. He goes, what, what, you know, what's wrong boss? He goes, uh, my, my, my boys are hemmed up. My boys are hemmed up in a bad way. You know, we got, uh, you know, we got double digits dead and and double digits uh, wounded. uh, And those numbers are climbing. If we don't, if we don't get someone there like right now and uh, came back, got the ODA said, Hey, the, you know, Blades are spinning. We we got to get there. Um, we, uh, if I remember right, this is called Operation Bulldog Bite. Um, we were going to insert to the south of their location because they were still in in a firefight, so they didn't want us to to insert there. We we're going to insert south of their location, and the Rangers were coming in. We we're going to insert to the north, and we were going to and we were basically it was really going to. We were supposed to meet them there together but everyone everyone knew it was gonna be a race to to try to get to them first and 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 uh and help those guys out well when we inserted the ranger uh 47 had mechanical failures and they and they didn't insert so it was it it was just us um when we got there we got there right as uh first light um was there uh the a- we we got there a little bit later we was supposed to insert in darkness it was just first light ac130 got there early to try to uh uh make sure that everything was going to be kosher for us and as soon as ac130 got on station it started lighting off and it didn't stop shooting it it was shooting while we landed and when the, and when the and, and daylight when the 47s took off it was still firing um and and i remember looking at the, one of our guys and like isn't that weird? He's like, "What's that?" He's like, "I've never seen an AC-130 in the daylight." He's like, "Yeah, that is that is kind of weird." Um, come to find out, uh, and heck, one of you guys may know, but it had to go up to like two or three star level approval to keep to keep Specter flying uh, daylight that low. Um, yeah. And agent targets. Do you remember?
2: I I was going to s- what- say that almost, almost always uh ac uh specter would be like denied daylight ops because it fly is so low you can see it right. and they were worried yeah. that it would present a target for man portables and stuff but to have a, a ac 130 during the day is exceptionally rare and like and like you said probably had to be elevated because the the in-country commanders like the air force they they did not allow that at all
1: yeah, I'm. I'm telling you, it was a weird sight seeing it. You know, uh, yeah, you know, you, you get to hear it a lot. You know, it's up there. You know, mm-hmm. on you know, on multiple multiple nighttime operations. But when you actually see it during the day, just it just stuck out. I'm like, man, that's really weird. Um, and and we confirmed. You know, obviously that you know, it got told to us that they had to get special approval to to stay on station. And it took us. And of course, we get we get uh, inserted a, uh, a little bit. Um, a little bit further than we wanted to be inserted. And so it's going to take even longer. So it's going to take all day for us to get up there. Um, we get into, you know, we, there's a couple villages between uh, us and and then we get into a little bit of contact. Um, but the right call was made, like, you know, this, you know, engaging it, killing the enemy right now isn't really our our mission. Our mission is to, to get these guys as fast as we can. And, um, again, I'm, I'm the, I'm. I'm the only combo guy uh, on on this mission. I was the only combo guy for the for the most part during that deployment. Uh, and as we're traveling at night, we know we should be getting close to these guys. Uh, and it goes back to again, I feel like I'm in the Q course. like at the times you feel like the Q course is so basic and things they tell you in the Q course, they do they they come back um, to 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 ring true in operations. And I remember an SUT being said, uh, being told that the most. And then let me know if, if you remember this. You know, especially in small unit tactics, what is the most dangerous part of of any mission when when you leave when you leave and come back from the wire? You want to take a guess at it?
3: I mean, oftentimes it's right as you clear the objective, right? Because everyone's tired and
1: you're si- chilling on security what the seven- the seven-8 answer for that will be re-entry of friendly lines mm-hmm.
3: oh geez yeah 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 so you're, yeah you're re-entry. linking up with friendly forces
1: yeah that's right re-entry of, of friendly lines and uh, I always thought that was uh you know uh, a little bit uh a little bit over the top like, I mean, like don't you think the most dangerous thing is you know getting out here and you know and, and get it on an ambush line and mixing it up with the enemy? Um, But here I am at 2 a.m. in Afghanistan, and there is this, you know, there's these young 11 Bravos that, you know, that are burying their brothers and watching their other brothers maybe, you know, slowly bleed out. And there's these guys trumping through the woods, trying to link up with them, and I cannot raise them on the radio. Mm. and And I was walking point at the time, too, going well, this is about fitting, you know, it's my, it's my fault, I guess, why we can't make commo. So I guess I should be eating these rounds. Um, I, I did everything that I was supposed to do before leaving. You know, I did, you know, I, I, you know, I got their fills, I got their frequencies. I, uh, I did radio checks with their guys from the ground. Why I couldn't make commo at that time is, is just, is the, is the bane of every Echo's existence. Um, and you know, when, when you needed combo the most, I couldn't make combo. And I just remember walking with my butthole pucker going <laughs> yeah. every step, I'm afraid these, you know, these these bushes are going to light up. Um, we never made combo, we never made uh uh radio contact with them. And luckily for me, uh they you know they 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 heard things in the bushes. We lit up with them like you know they they yelled from a distance. Hey, who is there? We got we got to um, you know speak English and they they knew it was us, wow. uh, and they knew that there was an American force uh, coming you know to link up with them. And luckily that got disseminated all the way to to the outskirts. Um, but I'll I'll never forget how you know um, just how how dangerous uh, oh. that something that that. Really seems like the least amount of dangerous thing that you would do. Like you know, there was really there's no enemy at the time. I, I, there's so much other dangerous stuff I've done in my in my military career, yet that to me, when I tell that story, I can still feel the yeah, you know, the hair stick up on the back of my neck yeah. walking to those woods. You know, wait, waiting to get lit up with a with
2: VS17 well, panel. Like, yeah, well, but, it's night, <laughs> you know? but it's nighttime, right? So
1: yeah, yeah, I guess yeah. yeah. I, it's yeah. It's nighttime. I have nods. I you know I, I don't even know you know if they got nods or if you know if, if all their guys you know have nods or if they're still rocking seven deltas on a low loom night, you right. know, which makes them almost just as dangerous with them as as without them. Right. Um. I'll 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 tell you this this war story real quick how they even how they how they I'll rewind it and tell you how they got into this position and what'll blow your mind what we talked about after we met up with them. So, it's really a sad story about, uh, about the bureaucracy of our military and the inability for people to make decisions. This was 1 of their very last, um, Valley clearing operations. It's it, it had been a very quiet deployment for those guys and they just hadn't seen a lot of action. So, they, you know, they. They started, you know, in my mind, a little bit to, to lose respect for the battlefield. Mm-hmm. You know, it, I mean, people don't understand You know, that there's a lot of lull to war. And yes, we lost a lot of guys in Afghanistan. But There's plenty of guys who went not deployed and never fired their gun and they never saw anything bad. And they just they woke up every day, went to bed every day and eventually went home. And it's not a sexy story to tell your friends. But that's the truth for really a, a lot of soldiers in Afghanistan. Um, these guys hadn't seen much, much combat at all. Uh, they come across this, uh, this house and this house is completely full of IEDs, full of IEDs. And so the company commander says, Hey, um, we're not going to touch this stuff. There's way too much. None of it. I don't feel that we're competent enough to, to move this stuff or we should anyway, i'm just going to call a strike on this house so they get into a long haul and they start the process of trying to get someone to authorize dropping on this house no one wants to make the call the you know the battalion commander doesn't want to make the call the brigade commander and in fact it's probably worse than that not to drag out the story but the you know the opso didn't want to make the call who eventually made it to the exo, and eventually made it to the battalion commander, like all these thresholds and levels and everyone just passing the buck up, passing the buck up, passing the buck up. Well, they've been here for like four hours mm-hmm. just waiting for someone to give them any sort of guidance of what of what they should do. Well, it's human nature. I'd probably do it. To, but what does joe do after four hours of being in the hot sun yeah. after not seeing any app joe does what joe does yeah and uh and i say that like i said i i'm not a robot i i i do the same things um
3: We're and all it joined. allowed
1: right. me yeah. to get up within very close proximities and and lob a volley of rpgs and 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 uh and machine gun fire and just absolutely lay waste to these guys. And they really didn't have a, a, a solid fighting chance at it. Um, they, they overwhelmed them pretty quick and hurt them pretty bad. Uh, and, you know, and that's when we got the call. So the fact that at the end of the day, it was just indecision on anyone wanting. And, of course, as you can, uh, it's collateral damage is the reason they don't want to um, destroy a building. Yeah, destroy yeah, destroy that building or and there was another building close, like fairly close to it. So they were concerned about that building. Rather than being concerned for the safety and well being of our soldiers, they cared more about mud buildings, and we sent right. guys home in body bags for it. Mm-hmm. It'll always be wrong. Um and that's how so that's that's how we got there. Now I'll get now we'll fast forward. We're here, we're talking to these guys. Um the uh we're going to go, uh, you know, we're going to go up and, and get a little bit of shut eye because we're they're going to go come pick them up in daylight the next day. And so we tell them. And of course, they're still in the they're in the valley. Like this house is is in the valley. Um, they're still in this house or in this compound. And we said, hey, we're going to go up to that high ground over there and, and get the tactical advantage. And I suggest you guys come with us. And uh, and even then they're like, no, like you guys got it up there. Like you guys can protect us from up there. Right. And I'm like, kind of like, I am like, yeah. what would be, what would be a better bet would just to be up there with us. Like right. that's, that's where you want to be, not, not down here in this Valley, but, um, but you know, I, I'm not going to be too hard on them. You know, I mean, obviously they're, they, they were dealing with a lot, beat down pretty hard. Um, and uh, maybe they just needed him. They're more than willing to have someone come save him and help him out. But you, that's that, that, and I'll, I'll tell you one more after this, but you know, we'll let you guys ask questions or, or talk about it a little more. Do if you, you remember want to, the without, rank? without a doubt, was one of our better missions. Uh, sorry. But, but I don't mean that. And yeah, you know, guys lost their lives. Yeah. You know, sure. Trying to think of a good word to use where I say, you know, better mission. It's like it one of the more
3: significant emission. actions and and you guys went in there and helped out fellow American soldiers. That's that right. makes
1: It makes it meaningful. That's right. Yeah. I mean, the the. The feeling it's only happened probably two more times in my career. Um, like, you know. To, to get there and face to face and strangers, just absolute strangers look at you and want to hug you because you because you showed up and they yeah and they and they you know they needed someone with guns to show up and you know they they're just you know they they're sitting there waiting waiting to die and we're i mean if they knew us we were as big as jackasses as 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 anyone else you know like we're we're uh we're, we're you know we're definitely not at times to be put up on a pedestal but at the end of the day hey will the green berets show up and the guys with beards show up like you're expected, you know, to, 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 to fill that role. We were more than happy to fill that role for him. And we were more than happy to, to protect those guys and get those guys out of there.
2: Uh, out of curiosity, do you, do you remember the size of the, that element that you guys went in to relieve or to, to
3: salvage? Lucky Land casino, asking people, what's the
2: weirdest place you've gotten lucky
0: lucky in line at the deli, I guess. I In my dentist's office
1: and then, do you um, do you recall
2: like what the uh, was it was it a captain was it like a a, a pl or a, second, or a I, lieutenant?
1: I know I'd, I'd have to we there's there's I don't know if a uh, few guys have one like this. I would need a lifeline, and <laughs> our medic Mark De remembers everything. Yeah everything. I could call Mark right now. He can tell you exactly how many guys are there, the rake of that dude and, and the area with, that we were operating in. Um uh,
2: yeah, I'm just curious I, uh, if like the the officer, like the 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 ground force commander was the one making the call not to like evac with you guys up the up the hill or if if he was getting it from higher that no st- like stay in place
1: until we resolve what we're going to do with this these IEDs. Yeah. I just, I just remember that being, you know, the, the answer to the, to the conversation, obviously the, the, the team sergeant had that, uh, had that conversation with whoever was in charge and, yeah, and, uh, maybe in the combo guy I was probably right next to the commander sitting up sit reps. Yeah. And, and
3: so there, was there something else with that? You wanted to talk about how that operation wound down or, uh, if it sounded like maybe there was something else you wanted to say about it?
1: Um, no not about that one i'll, I'll talk about one more that's okay. you know that's kind of yeah. similar happened the same trip but i'll tell you one of the weirdest things um uh, one of the weirdest things that ever happened was at the end of that operation and by the time we actually got helos in there it was actually it was actually at nighttime. so we actually stayed you know all day during the day got all the wounded out um, and whoever could walk to this next LZ, we were all gonna walk to that uh, to, to that uh, HLZ and get out of there with a under with a 47. So it's nighttime. Uh, we're, we're we're in PZ posture, and our interpreter comes up to me and goes, "Hey, uh, one of the guys found a goat, and um, he he really wants to keep it." Um, and my initial reaction was like. No, you can't bring a goat on a forty-seven. <laughs> uh, but you know, um, I don't know. Another part of him was like, you know what? Sure, yeah, he can have the goat. So I, for whatever reason, authorized this guy to have a goat on the forty-seven, and um, and he's just holding this goat the whole time. He's holding it, and we're we're on this um, like steep ledge. So here on this the top of this plateau is where it's going to land. And we're at the very edge of of this really steep ledge. So when the forty seven comes in tailgate this way, um, I look at him and I tell the interpreter, "Hey, hold on to that goat tight. We're we're, we're getting ready to go." And um, and I'm just watching him. Uh, <laughs> I'm just watching him with nods. And it looks like he does this, and then just throws the goat off <laughs> off the ledge to to its little goat death. And I'm like, those—they're so weird. You know, Afghans <laughs> just do weird things. You know, just shaking my head. Like, I thought you wanted that goat. Why would you throw that goat off? And so, this—this—this this, this question is—is is boggling my boggling my mind the whole ride over. So as soon as the wheels land down in in uh, in Jalalabad, and we can get away from the rotor wash, I go grab the interpreter. I'm like, hey why did he kill why did he kill that goat i thought he wanted that goat and uh he said and apparently he says the uh the 47 scared the goat and the goat back legs launched off of his chest and he tried to grab it but from my angle it looked like he threw the he threw the goat off so the poor goat jumped to its death but it was the weirdest thing in the world to witness not not knowing what's going on and I really feel like that sums up my experience. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, honestly, you're lucky it was just
2: one goat because that could have started if there had been a, like a flock or a herd of goats out there, or oh. whatever it is, like everybody would have wanted a goat and you would have had oh, a 47 I, I full we, goat shit. We would have started
1: shit. a horrible, a horrible precedence uh, of them based probably stealing goats and taking them on the 47s Yeah, yeah. And I'm sure... I'm sure that would have been a uh, a theater wide email at uh, at some point. Pretty Thanks. soon you're up to donkeys.
3: Yeah, you you would have been the <laughs> do, the Doctor Doolittle of Afghanistan, uh, <laughs> shepherding goats around uh, on 47th. Yeah,
1: the uh that that same trip, um, uh, I'm into I'm in civilian clothes. I'm getting ready to go on the ring route, and I have to go down to Bagram. <laughs> Uh, I don't even either for op fund or, or or for crypto. There there's some reason I had to go down to Bagram. So I'm in Jalalabad. I'm in JBAD, waiting for the ring flight. And this like uh, this E5 or E6 guy comes up to me and goes, uh, um, and me. There's another guy with me on my team. Can't remember who was, who was with me. But he comes up and goes, hey, uh, you guys special forces? And I mean, I'm wearing civilian clothes. I mean. Could have been a contractor, but you know, lucky guess. I'm like, uh, yeah, we're special forces. He, and he's like, hey, I've, I've been looking for you guys. I've been, I've been trying to call you guys. Been trying to email you guys. I'm really trying to get a hold of you guys. I'm really glad I got to see you. And I'm thinking, what, what email are you using? What, what <laughs> phone number? Like, what, like, like, how do like is, is this whole thing starting out weird already? and then he gets like you know you know real emotional and he's like hey man i'm we're out at Jill. he goes it's uh it's you near know, the next province over it's a really small base he goes we're just waiting to die he goes we there's nothing we can do about it we're just waiting to die i you know i have to sit there and and tell my guys that they're going to be okay you know help is coming you know it's not it's it's not that bad when i know it's that bad and i'm like man that is was a horrible story um i was like look give give me uh give me your red line number and um we'll uh we'll see what we can do okay and he was like all right and so he leaves i cancel my ring flight trip and i go back to to the uh to the team house you know and i go to the you know the team leader and the team sergeant like hey like you know tell them the same story i was like "Uh, you mind if i look into this and uh like no yeah sounds sounds like something you should look into and again that's what's really cool, and that I'll always miss about you know being on being a Green Bray is you know the 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 autonomy to do whatever you want. It's it's a lot of work, unfortunately, to collect your own intel and to you know create your own con ops, you know execute your own missions with only 12 guys and a partner force. But it's but it's but it's all worth it at times when you get to to, to do things like this and so i call i call the guys up uh i talked to their first sergeant it's a company size element out there Jill. and uh without trying to throw that guy on the bus trying to feel out what's going on and the first sergeant's like yeah it's pretty bad out here if can can you guys come out here and i was like okay i i will we'll come out and look and um so me and my team sergeant get on a, a black hawk and we we fly out there to Jill to see what's going on and it's a gosh, I wish I could remember the state. I want to say it's like an Illinois National Guard unit um, out there. And uh, they start telling me everything that's wrong. And I remember thinking to myself, uh, they're they're screwing this up somehow. Like, they're, you know, they're 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 being cowards or, you know, this is what happens when you're not aggressive towards the enemy. And, uh, you know, I, obviously that was like deep in the back of my in my mind. But, you know, I, I thought it. And so I'm listening to these guys story. And, I'm, and so I'm like, so that's, so, you know, the, you know, the point of origin where it's always coming from They're like, well, there, there's only three points of origin. I said, all right, we'll send out an SR team and set up on, uh, on all three ports, points of origin. There's, there's nine, 10, 12 guys. I know you're a company, but that's, that's easily doable. They're like, can't do that. We can't go out and I'm, I'm going to screw up the number a little bit, but. Um, we can't go out with less than 12 people on a patrol. He goes, and so with 12 people on a patrol, if I'm to go put three people. So, you know, on, on those points of origin, three teams, of those points of origin, that's 36 people right there. That already puts us at, you know, at, at full strength for, for running operations. Cause that means half the guys are sleeping while the other half are out. And as mm-hmm. soon as those guys come back, those guys go to go, go out on operations and, the only thing we've done is run 24 hour ops on three different, three different point of origins. And we're not even you know, we're not even living. We're not doing like we're not like you can't run operations. like Right, that. right, right. I'm like, I was like 12 guys delete these points of these poos, if you will, are like 1200 meters away, like they're not that far. I'm like you have to 12 guys to go a click outside the wire. And he's like, Abs- absolutely. Um, and just, they couldn't, they couldn't drive, they couldn't drive down to the next village, which was only four or 500 meters out outside their gate, uh, without getting completely riddled and, and, and have to turn back around. Uh, they couldn't get air support. They asked for guys to do valley clearing operations. Uh, and just the more, um, you know, I sat there with those guys, the more, uh, the, the first sergeant, again, he was a national guard infantry, first sergeant. He was a good dude. He had, he was, you know, he was just a solid guy. He had a lot of answers and a lot of things he tried. But in the day, they just weren't capable of of solving this problem. And so we, uh, we went back and we, and we did something that we rarely rarely do. Um, We put the, the, uh, I'm going to forget words now, but the can was broken up into 3 elements. Like Kandak is already a battalion, um, so whatever I, companies. yeah, sorry, companies. So they're broken up into three companies, and we were going to bring two companies of commandos to 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 clear this valley, which is which which we've never done because, you know, they're on a red, orange, and green training cycle, so they're mm-hmm. always in third. So to bring two companies forward was was a big deal. The SOTA headquarters gave us a bunch of pushback, and they're like. I don't know what you guys are talking about. We've asked, you know, we've, we've put singing birds around there. We've asked our, our human tours, like, we're not getting anything in, in that area. Like, they're asking us to please go do something else. And we're like, no, we've been on the ground. These guys are hurting. Like, this valley needs to be cleared. Um, we, we set off what we called Operation Rockstar. That was back in the day when ODAs could still name their own naming conventions Um before. People probably uh, uh, took uh, took yeah. some 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 free speech liberties within their operations. <laughs> Operation
3: <laughs> Penthouse, you know, get approved. Yeah. yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. And and I love it. And everyone got behind it. Like all the uh, the, the aviation support called all the HLZs, like Ringo and and like all and uh, and and you know HLZ Bon Jovi and everything. And it was um, we inserted that night. And the helos, it was, it was a long Valley. Um, and the, the, uh, the cop was at the very base of the valley. So, we were going to insert at the very northern part and then kind of like a hammer and anvil operation. So, so the, so the base only had to basically be the anvil of it. We would push them all down uh, all down the valley. um, Or at least contain them in the valley. We, we get, uh, we come into fire as heavy fire as soon as, as soon as we, as soon as we land. And, uh, and we're thinking, and the soda didn't even want us. Right. Here we are taking massive, you know, uh, RPK fire from PKM fire from the, from the mountainsides. And you told us there was no one here and that it was just a bunch, you know, a couple, uh, basically a couple low-level crooks lobbing RPGs in the base every now and again. Um, the... Our team leader immediately called, uh, called Cass. Um, That's a whole nother story, but I'll touch it on it for just a second. At the time, you had to have battalion level approval to call Cass. Um, We had a great team leader who knew the rules and there is a caveat to that. Um, during the infill of an operation, when they know you're vulnerable, you do not have to call battalion for approval, and you could immediately call CAS from the ground. That's a, that's exactly what he did. And if he wouldn't have done that, we'd have had a bunch of shot up birds that uh, that night. So, he does that. Uh, uh, we quell we call that. Um, there's just these pockets as yeah, as we move, pockets and pockets and pockets. And uh, most of them were, were really from, from the, uh, the sides of the mountain. So it wasn't a whole lot of like uh, close, mm-hmm. you know, personal type combat. But the, the type of combat that is, it's great. And it's great for numbers because really just by you being in the valley is what stirs them up, you know, yeah. on, on, these, on these mountain sides. And then just air support comes in and, and crushes them. Well, the very first one that we called air support on was way up there. And uh, I wasn't on it. But we, we asked a, a, a couple guys to go up there and do a BDA on uh, on that. It took them hours to crawl up this mountain to get to that BDA site. But when they did, what we found were guys in ACUs and they were foreign fighters. Holy shit. And we found them all through the valley long story short by the time we get done with this valley and get home the guys who didn't want us even going on the mission were giving us all sorts of kudos and praises for <laughs> one of the for one of the you know the the biggest noble operations you know that that we took on and they didn't even want us to go um our our captain as soon as we get home gets home uh gets gets um uh where do i want to like um temporarily, uh, fired or we'll see if he's fired because the siege of sort commander wanted him on his, on, on the carpet, like now, because he heard that he didn't use the right protocol for calling in cass mm. And he called in cass without a battalion level approval. And he sat there in Bagram for like a week. And then he sees the siege of sort of commander tells the story and goes, Oh, I didn't know it was during infill you're good and and sends them back to the team uh while fortunately for us while we're running amok for another solid week without (laughs) our team leader actually had going on i'm going on some great missions um but they didn't deserve that and that and again that's that that deployment was really like one of the the spur you know the moments that truly spurred me to say as and as great as that deployment was, like you know, we got to save like those guys, and we got back to their camp. They all you know gave us the biggest hug, and they're like, "Man, thank you for saving our lives. We don't think we, we were going home without you. Um, like you really feel like you, you you did something worthwhile." But there was a reoccurring theme that deployment, which was this, CONOPS had gotten crazy to twenty and thirty pages. Yeah, it was getting. Increasingly harder to fight. You feel like you're fighting the enemy and the soda and Siege of Sodaf trying to get out the door. If the enemy could move, as long as the enemy moved every night, then he was moving faster than 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 we could keep up with. Because that con op that was approved was was for this location. Um, it got it got really disheartening. I mean, what Thank what a what a ridiculous have- what a, what a ridiculous
3: situation that. You have soldiers on the ground there who are telling you, "Hey, we're getting hit every night," but higher is saying, "Well, we don't have it on Sigint, so I guess it's not happening."
1: It the the whole thing at a um, at a battalion and, and higher level, you know, not not just at, at and within SF and within the military, really just kind of to started to yeah. discuss me, you know, and, yeah, yeah. If, and if we weren't there with such a solid team of good dudes. Who were just willing to do whatever it took to get out the wire. uh, They really did have a good attitude, generally speaking. They're like, okay, fine. You want 20 pages? I'll make you, I'll get, if that's what it takes to get out the wire, I'll give you 20 pages. You want 30 pages? Then we'll get really efficient at writing 30 pages and we'll get out the wire. Um, They were, you know, they were just a really good team when it came to that, that really could have crushed, you know, uh, other teams and did, and it did. It did crush. What what year was this?
2: Do you remember roughly? Oh, 09 oh, nine
1: oh9 This is about yeah. uh, McChrystal years.
2: Yeah, because I remember talking to um, 10 or 10,
1: 2009, 2010. Yeah.
2: I, yeah. I remember talking to uh, an SF soldier sometime in like in the 08 to 09 frame, And he said that if they were on target and they fired their weapon, there would be a fifth. They had to fill out a 15-6, like the, the, that. It just got so ridiculous for a while.
1: Um, yeah. And and I don't, I don't mind if the war warrants that if we're making results and we just don't need American Cowboys, you know, go, going on target just to spike the football every night. Right. right. I, 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 I did that, you know, and as, and as a younger soldier, that's, you know, uh, I would, I would have never said that. And I'd be like, as long as we're here, we need to be out on target. Um, yeah, I did get a little bit older and wiser, but we weren't there yet. Yeah, and I think the biggest problem that I saw was ground guys were reporting ground truth,
0: mm-hmm. and right.
1: I saw it firsthand that those reports. We had these like green, yellow, and red reports about how they're doing planning wise, how they're doing logistically, how they how you know how their uh, how their training is going. And we generally gave him yellows and reds across the board. Yet when you see a, a polished product later up at a Siege of Sodas level, looking like it's, you know, like everything's rosy. when right. that's not what we said. Yeah.
2: Right. It's always, and and not to disparage military intelligence, because because there are a lot of two shops or a lot of human, like there's a lot of good work in the intel, but there's also a oh, yeah. lot of bureaucracy bureaucracy there where When guys like like you were talking about these guys, but when guys are on the ground are reporting what's going on and then you have, you know, two shops, you know, Intel shops going, no, we don't have any intelligence to support us. Like, well, there's your fucking intelligence. Like, why do you think your product supersedes what these guys on the ground are telling you?
1: Hey, and that's, that's part of unit history right there. Like, we, we had, we've, there's been a disconnect for a while. You can go all the way back to, oh, I'll get close, but, um, operation Anaconda in 2003, someone help me out on that, but it's gotta be close 02, to that yeah. early, early, early war. Where, you know, these ground units are, are saying, hey, there's a major, a collection of enemy uh, personnel in this area and, and higher ups going, Nope, we sent over ASR, you know, I, the ISR over there. Didn't see anything. Mm-hmm. And I go, no, they're there and saying Nope, we sent ISR over again. There's nothing there. And then it, it, you know, it took, you know, unit AFO troops to go, to go up there in twos and threes and live on the side of a mountain for a few days and go, Holy crap, this place is crawling with people and and even then like them kind of be like well we don't really see it on on isr that's one of the reasons operation anaconda was such a a debacle so over reliant on 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 isr right and not guiding the ground
3: we uh we jumped forward a little bit um you had talked about that before this deployment you had also you'd gone to selection beforehand Can you talk to us a little bit about, um, when the idea of going to trying out for the unit came about into your mind and and then like
1: going to selection? Uh, no, because I failed selection the first time. I don't talk about my failures. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, the, uh, going to selection the, uh, the, the first time, um, Goes goes back to the, um, you know, the adage of I, I didn't want to. I, I I didn't want to be done with my military career. Not that I was thinking of retiring or being done at, at any time real soon at that point. But at, at this point in my career, I felt like, you know, I went into the military you know check. I, you know, I became a green beret because, you know, you know, being in the regular military was wasn't enough. And then I was like, hey. There was a small group of guys within SF that, that, that I thought were even better and, you know, and, and going to a dive team check. Like, you know, I, I can, I continued to to push myself and. And, you know, and, and, and make it, uh, you know, I wanted to go to war real bad. I went to war to war several times and I felt like I was really good at it. You know, uh, you know check like, I'm, I'm. I'm continuing to get to look for challenges meet them and it, and you know there's a, a a couple things going on one i i wanted to see how how far i could go um i didn't think i was the best guy on my team and that's why like you know i i needed to go to selection cuz i got to – cuz i'm you can't you can't soar with with Eagles when you're hanging around Buzzards like it was it was it was nothing like that and in fact i was probably the third best guy on my team um i wasn't even the best guy on my ODA uh and but I was the only guy that went to selection and I, I did, i never told anyone this, but I did get tired of hearing a lot of people train up for selection and, you know, going to sniper school, you know, and going to this school and, you know, uh, like, um, and always like, uh, collecting this, this, this perfect packet to go to selection with, cause they're, cause they're going to go to CAG, but they, they forgot the most important part of the process which was going to selection um and so it's had a lot of people talk about it but but never do it and um uh so there's a a lot of and and i i knew even before that deployment handwriting was on the wall deployments are going to go away iraq was already starting to go away at that time you know there were rumors of you know of of afghanistan combat operations uh beginning to get questioned and, and put into halt and I wasn't done deploying and I knew I could go to one other place and, and hopefully, you know, continue to deploy and, and maybe even deploy the rest of my career. So you kind of take that that whole, you know, that whole mound of evidence. And that's what that's what drove me to go to selection. So took
3: uh, two shots, which is not abnormal at, at all.
1: Right. And in fact, I don't like I like calling the first one a recce. So <laughs> the, first one, the first one was a recce. Um, and I made it really far. Like I I made it, uh, like the only thing I didn't do was a 40 miler and it was definitely one of those things where you show up, you know, and even though, um, you know, as an ODA, you don't have this, like, yeah, I never felt this weird, uh, oh, we're just 20th group, you know, like our our ODAs always thought, you know, had a, had, had nothing but, uh, uh, Knew, knew they were good and and if you questioned it we're more than willing to prove it to you so I never really had this in in my career this oh I'm just twentieth group um, until I showed up to to selection and I don't know it was just a bunch of really big guys and uh, you know guys telling all these crazy stories and like I don't know maybe you know maybe maybe I am out of out of my league a little bit and then just Slowly, you know, the, the the days go by and the days go by and the class gets smaller and smaller and 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 you're still here and and all those big loudmouth guys, uh, you know, did, didn't make time standard this day and that day and and really by by the end of it you're it's um, probably a dramatic way to say it but you kind of know you know how in three hundred like they get to the the end of it and they're like we actually might win this thing you know they kind of thought it was a suicide mission and then they think they they actually could pull it off um it's kind of like how i started to feel like you know, actually i you know i'm looking at everyone around me and i'm just as good as 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 anyone here um i can i can make this thing um and as soon as i about as time i started feeling like that uh i got cut um and uh which was the very end of it and i remember going to the um i won't talk about the uh We'll, we'll just i got we'll just say this i got interviewed at at, at the end and uh the the interviewer was like um uh you yeah, know i'm just just not going to no, not gonna talk about it
2: did did you the, did, uh,
1: did you get good feedback as, in terms
2: of what you could improve if you came back
1: no okay <laughs> All right. uh i i um i'll yeah, i'll try i i do i don't mind coming on podcasts and i don't mind you know uh you know talk about the unit and send you know uh selection, you know, selection is sacred. Um, yeah. Right. You know, we get it. There's and there's some things I will talk about. Um, but yeah, I, I was yeah, I was able to talk some at the end. He did ask me some questions. Um, I'm afraid if I go into it, I, I'll end yeah. up you know giving someone sure, some sure. answers.
3: But but they but well, they did welcome you to come back again, try out again.
1: Yes, he he, he asked me he asked me how I did. I, I told him how I thought I did. Um I, I thought I did pretty well and then he, he laughed at me because he said, well, you're, you're sitting here. You must not have done that well. And I was like, ouch. I was, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's this is pretty much true. We we had a. Uh, we had a lively conversation after that, and uh, I must have said something right to. Uh, to let him have pity on me and uh, bring me back for a 2nd try. And so uh, I, I went went deployed uh, came, came back, came back again and was, uh, was, was just, and I, and I truly mean this, like I got just lucky enough to, to, to get through the process. Yes. I trained for it, a lot of guys did, you know, I was, I was in the top third, you know, uh, of the class whenever we did anything, you know, I mean, I know physically I deserve to be there. So, you know, why do I feel lucky because there are guys that were, way ahead of me and, and always ahead of me and, and didn't make it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's just, it's a weird, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's a weird process that has, that has a, a weird way of working, uh, of working things out. Um, and there's, there's a saying that didn't make a whole lot of sense at the beginning. And, and, uh, they'd say, Hey, we're not looking for the best guy. We're looking for the right guy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I remember thinking to myself, wouldn't the best guy be the right guy kind of doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, and again, uh, just the, the longer I was there, the, the truer that, that, uh, that saying, uh, rang out was it's, it's not the best guy. It's the right guy. Mm-hmm. So I was just, again, l- lucky enough to be the right guy.
3: So you get picked up and then, uh, off to OTC. And I mean, what, what was that experience like for you? I mean, did you, you enjoy, uh, the, the training
1: yeah i'll i'll tell you um i will tell you this about selection it'll because it'll it'll roll into into otc as well selection bar none i don't care where you've been what you've done is the most professional thing you will ever witness and and you know i I wish i could kind of go into detail and tell you like what you know how professional is and how it'll blow your mind um but i'll just leave it at that it is it is the most professional thing you'll you'll ever experience and i don't know if you ever you know you've ever had this experience where you go to a, a military school and things are they're they're run okay but they're a little, little discombobulated and you know it makes you feel at one point like is this your guy's first time ever running this course uh, yeah I mean, are you on. just making this up have, as
2: you go along yeah
1: yeah you gotta have this figured out by now that happens zero times ever in west virginia it mm. is the most professional thing you'll ever it's so professional We've had guys quit before, because they saw the level of professionalism in a course and just said, "I'm not that professional. I <laughs> I can't be this professional, and I can't meet this standard." And so and select themselves off off the professionalism of it. So um, I'll absolutely say that uh, they you know, the, uh, the the unit and selection des- deserves that uh, that credit and um, to be known for that and. Uh, OTC, um, was still professional. I say not as professionals, you know, they, um, it, uh, you, you messing up an an OTC on a CQB run and there will be a, you know, a large muscular man yelling at you from the catwalk, you know, letting you know how much you suck and how much you probably don't deserve to be here. And, uh, you know, it is, it is up to you to, 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 deal with that information and, uh and and react to uh, react accordingly um the two things that that they gave me uh were this i felt challenged and i i felt like the um you know this the, the, the skill set that that i was acquiring and the resources required to you know needed to develop this type of skill set were were finally there like um it just it's it's like it's like being in in tactical Disney World. I mean, just everything's at at your fingertips. If you need it, you'll get it. Um, it's with, without a doubt the most amazing place I've ever worked. And and, will- and 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 I almost feel bad sometimes telling people like how great I had it because even though special operations and and as a whole, generally speaking, you know have have money and they have equipment, but very few people really know what it's like to never want for anything <laughs> so what, what was it <laughs> so like what,
3: what was it like when you graduated and showed up to your team and walked into their team room that first day um
1: I I knew this I knew when um, when I graduated OTC uh, it's one of the few times in life where I feel like I um, I took a moment you know and thought to myself hey, like remember this like this will be this this may be the greatest accomplishment of your life i know you know, maybe maybe that even sounds dramatic but at least at least i felt aware enough to know that this is something you know few people actually get to do uh, at the end of the day if you don't make select if you know, even if you make selection but you don't make otc you did something great that still very few people do but it's not you don't feel good you know about right. not making it um uh, and i and I, but i knew at that point even if they fire me in six months i was an operator and i you know and i did you know <laughs> you did uh, it yeah. you know and i i did this i accomplished this i was good enough i you know and am one of the very uh, i'm in a part of one of the smallest brotherhoods and and all of the military and i definitely i i re uh i i enjoyed that moment um and then of course when when the realization of you know getting into your team room and that what you thought was was pretty good cqb um the uh my my first team leader did who did not um hand out compliments uh ever to anyone um kind of let it slip that i graduated number one in cqb which i knew i i, I knew i was doing pretty good at in at eqb but he was letting me know he goes uh, so you think, you think you're good just because you graduated number one in CQB? What's well, it's not going to be fast enough here. And uh, and I looked at him and I go, So I graduated number one in CQB, huh? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember, I remember going like, No, that's that's not what this is about, but forget that. But like, that's 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 not a compliment, it's, it's nothing. Let me go on, let me go, I heard it. Oh, I heard you. Yeah, i one in CQB. Uh, no and, big deal, but he was absolutely. But yeah, but uh, he was absolutely right, man. You you get over there and those and and they and they'll tell you this is usually a pretty similar experience. They'll go to the the shoe house for the first the first couple you know the first couple days and at least the first day the first couple runs they'll tell you hey just hang out in the back and don't try to shoot anything. And that's and and uh, and those and I'll always remember those first few runs going, who, yeah that's that's gonna be tough to keep up with you know uh i i I didn't feel like i didn't belong but i knew that uh, i was about to get challenged again and it and it was just it was just another good feeling knowing that because it happens sometimes in our careers in special operations where you make it to something and you're like no it's good and it's i mean it's really good but it's not exactly everything i thought it was going to be you know you, you have those moments um and you know that the, the unit just never really gave me that moment. Right. I was, yeah, it, it is what you think it is.
3: It must be like on one hand as a new guy, a little intimidating, but at the same time, you're like, I'm with like the absolute top notch guys. I mean, it must be awesome to be around that kind of talent.
1: It, um that particular team leader loved, you know, you know loved his team to um to have a lot of confidence, but but to, to back it up as well um and well, i remember you know my first deployment going over there with those guys you know still think yeah i, you know, I have more than enough experience under, under underneath my belt of combat experience but there's always this um um like when you're on the white side like, again it's, it's kind of like national guard and 20th group like you don't like, you know, guys that went there, but like, once they go over there, you, they go into a black hole and you never talk to them again. Like you have, you hear rumors of what goes on over there, but no one really knows. You hear that they're, you know, you hear their target sets are, are so much livelier and, you know, when they go on target, you know, it's always, it's always uh it's always a lively night and you just hear these, these stories. And so, um, you know, I was a little bit, you know, didn't know what to think of the unknown. You know, on on my first deployment, but I do remember, you know, being next to those guys, and after you know, running through the shoot house with them, and um, you know, watching them in mission planning and decision making, and and just how they carried themselves day in and day out, and how well they knew their job. Um, like I, I remember getting on a helicopter, going, "I'm good." Like I, I'm with these guys. Um, you know, I'm I'm good, and and feeling still feeling like i can contribute with these guys but still knowing <laughs> these guys these these guys are going to take us home <laughs> and that's what they did and man that's what they did those 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 guys were exactly who i thought they were uh as soon as we got to combat they were great just can't say enough good things about them
3: and and so at this point i mean you're you're off to the races you did another another eight deployments to the middle east um and i mean what what would uh i mean I don't know what, what you're comfortable talking about. I mean, are there any particular operations that stand out in your mind or any particular experiences that you think are, uh, significant either to you personally or, or maybe to the history of, of special um, operations, frankly.
1: I, I could have done without getting shot. Um, <laughs> I get uh, it. <laughs> well, stands out. I, I was, I was running pretty clean there for, uh, you know, probably going into almost double digit deployments and, uh, You know everyone on my team had a purple heart and uh but then i i do remember uh um i'll you know i'll say this about the night i I got shot i i was i was getting more um more aggressive and more aggressive you know and things that that i i probably i i knew they weren't like flagrant but i knew that i probably shouldn't have been doing business that way and that there was probably a smarter way to do business but you know it's not like i just turned into a, like an aggressive retard. Like the, I just, I'd slowly continue to go down this, you know, this, this path and got away with it mm-hmm. and then got away with mm-hmm. it, you know, and even, you know, a couple times, like, you know, got to kill, you know, some people that I, that I wouldn't have been in a good position to kill otherwise. And so it, you know, kind of reinforces that, Hey, you know, just the most aggressive guy, the fastest guy wins and always wins. And that's just how it is. Um, and that is true 99 percent of the times and you 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 play like that long enough you you will roll snake eyes um, yeah. And, uh yeah and 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 i rolled snake eyes uh one night way too close way too far you know on squatter patrol squatter control you know a click away out from the rest of the assault element continuing to engage a guy engage guys and get drawn further and further out And even knowing that and being like, hey, we're, you know, there's, you know, we just got away with that last one and there's, there's more people, you know, behind, you know, in this next group, I probably shouldn't go that far. And I should probably, you know, plus up another operator or two, you know, if, if we're going to do that Uh, and then just going, nah, we got this. Uh, And, uh, and, and, and we did not. So I, I I got shot. Um our combo guy that was with us got shot. Uh I I got hit by a grenade about five seconds later after getting shot. Um another round uh skipped off and uh shot my nods in half. So my panos were dangling on my face. Um just shot up and in a and in a really bad way and, and really lucky, lucky to get out of there. Um and but we did. And it 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 didn't it didn't change me to to um, to being like hesitant or scared. Uh, I truly think it 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 reset me to exactly where where right. I needed to be. Right. Um, I I don't think I would have ever operated scared. It's just not who I am. I, I if if I think I couldn't have got out of that, I'd I'd have just medically retired at that point. I just you know that's just not. How i'm cut so I, I either just would have been like well I, I lost it and it's not for me but uh you know the whole time that i was in rehab i could not wait to get back on the battlefield i couldn't wait um I, don't, I know it sounds maybe weird to some people but i couldn't wait to kill someone again and to prove like hey that's not how my career ends there's no way that you know i felt like my career would ended on a mistake so right i right. worked as hard as I possibly could to, to get back out there and then to, uh, you know, I don't know, validate myself still. Uh, I don't, you know, the right way, way to kind of describe it, but that small reset, if I would have continued down that path, I would have died in Syria. One, 100% mm-hmm. that Syria was such a different, uh, such a different game. Uh, you you think, you know, IEDs, you know, in Afghanistan, you, you don't you don't know what it's like until ISIS retreats from a village and leaves about three thousand IEDs everywhere on every road, on every courtyard, in the walls of houses, puts them on timers, puts them on IR trip devices. Just an absolute IED debacle. Um and, and they were more than and they were smart, like they were they were more than willing to uh to um, use your your aggressiveness against you and pull you into situations uh, only to only to find out too late. Uh, yeah, we may have that. That's that's what they wanted us to do. Right. This um, really was uh, a formidable enemy and in, in some aspects um, and in other aspects they're were, they're were just dumb terrorists like the rest of them. So they're they definitely a, a, a dynamic there with ISIS. But yeah. I hate man, I really did. I. I really hated ISIS on a, on a level that at the end of the day, I kind of respected the Taliban after operating in Iraq guys in Iraq were just so quick to, to surrender, you know, at times and just, and just take their uh, take their chances with the judicial system. Um, At least in, at least in Afghanistan, generally speaking, uh, they were willing to to fight it out with you. Um, And, it was almost more like a, a tribal war as well like i don't know uh, I, again i'm not going to sit here and give too much too much respect and credence to the taliban as if they're some sort of legitimate government you know fighting for their existence and they're, they're they're horrible people but compared to isis uh they you know i i can i i view them in, in two two different categories yeah, the ISIS the, the, the Taliban scary.
3: wasn't so much into like the flagrant war crimes and stuff like that that ISIS was.
1: Yeah, I mean they they had it, you know. Yeah. I mean they were they were capable of it, but they they the the amount when ISIS was willing to do it, they were willing to do it often and do it on a very large scale. Right. And uh, and they were and they were willing to do it, you know, to kids as as much as anyone. Right. And they were. They were just. They're just a different breed of evil. And I I I, don't, I, I remember, you know, seeing, uh, you know, seeing ISIS dead bodies and just looking down on them with absolutely no remorse or yeah, no, yeah, yeah. you know, internal struggle going, man, that was someone's son. You know, that was someone's father. But just looking at them and absolutely not caring and being like, that's just a two-legged dog. You know, w- wish, wish there were more next to him. I just really disliked them on another yeah. level.
3: Could could we talk a little bit more about uh, Syria? Because you mentioned that that was like a totally different environment. Um, And you guys presumably working with the SDF. And was it more of like a a UW environment than some of the other deployments?
1: Yeah, I'll tell you, that was an SF mission all day long. That was an SF mission. Um, we, We had way too few guys doing way too much um you know and for people who really aren't set up to partner with with <laughs> with other units um it and i will tell you why sf didn't get that mission and they wanted it fifth group wanted it so bad in fact there was a plan to give it over to them uh when we got to Raqqa, we were going to hand it over to them um and then cooler minds prevailed so I was like it's a horrible idea like that's like it's like handing it over at you know at halftime they either take it over now or, or they don't take it at all like don't 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 turn it over to them to them right as they're getting to the you know the, the climax and and need and you need to be a well oiled machine right fighting their capital at you know at the at, you know, at the most and then um you know and then give it to a new guy to figure out all their all their all their initial problems the reason SF didn't get it is because SF, the same reason I started to not like SF at the end, they quit trusting their ground guys, they required too much um, oversight. And that that war was going too fast if you if to to slow them down with the the protocols that that they would inevitably do. Um, So, uh, the unit does a great job at trusting their ground guys. The, yeah, I, they, you know, I never, never had an issue uh, you know, being questioned or asking why am I doing this or why do I need that. I just tell them what I'm doing and I tell them what I need. And uh, you know, and and if you don't give them a reason, you know, to to uh to question you, they 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 never will. Um and so the my, my first trip was very was very unique because it was it was still I wouldn't even call it UW like it was it was it was closer to to World War II Um, like you know we had you had friendly lines you had enemy lines and there was there was there was there was no in between you know and and even weirder than that at times it was like you know we called it a bankers war like no one no one fought at night. They didn't. They didn't have night vision, you know. So th- you know, when the sun w- came up and everyone woke up and 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 ate some breakfast, they started lobbing mortars, you know. And, and right before dinner time, when everyone got hungry, they you know they they packed it up and and uh, you know and, and waited for the sun to come back up. Um, that's yes, yeah, that's, that's a, a little bit of a you know satire way to to describe it because it was very unlike that at, at times. But there is there there is a lot of truth that. Uh, to to that as well um there were times yeah you know if you were to you know ha- have a fire or or even a loud generator like it, it would it would it would get you some some mortar rounds at night i mean they, they would come out and play at night if you gave them a reason to but generally speaking if you didn't give them a reason to um they were just it was just a very much a uh this is the good side this is the bad side they're in this village we're in this village there's Two clicks of open ground between the two villages and uh we're gonna fight it out to see who who's either gonna lose this village or gain this village. And uh for us as as a sniper, it really pushed us to um to lean heavily into uh what what you know we started to call at the time ELR, extreme long range. Because everything at the time was eight hundred meters and in, you know, eight hundred meters if you're lucky with a three oh eight. Well, three hundred eight wasn't going to do anything, you know, from 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 two thousand meters away. But that's where our engagements are, and so now we're now we've always had three three eights, but we never really dusted them off and used them with a lot of you know, extremely at you know at at these uh, engagements. And now you know we're finding out you know we the way we we use our yeah. I would have a a tripod and a, you know, and a, a pillow for my, uh, for my laser range finder. Like things that I've never had to do before, but you know, uh, you know, I, w- I would have a you know, $3,000 really right stuff tripod, just, just for my laser range finder, because comes to find out, you know, at 2,200 meters away, if I'm just a little bit off, And I lays the, you know, the building in front of the building I'm, I'm, you know, I'm trying to get, you know, I'm off, you know, I'm off by, by 50 meters and in in that 50 meters. Now, my elevation is drastically different and I'm never going to hit my target at 2000 meters, even though that, you know, that 338 is more than capable of making a 2000 meter shot. So, um. I either just excited a lot of some of some of your nerdy shooter audience or I just put to sleep some of some of the guys who just like direct action. Uh, we learned a lot uh, about our equipment and about our guns in Syria. It was a very, very different war. And Do you find uh, the 338 once you guys dialed it in that you guys were
3: pretty effective uh, using that weapons platform at those ranges?
1: Yeah, oh, that, that three. 338 was great. It was uh, the the one thing that we w- we would go back and forth is when you get over 2,000 meters, the problem we'd run into is spotting your misses. Mm-hmm. Even though you think the 338 is is a is a large round, man, it it is it is. Um, but you can easily not see a miss at 2,000 meters, um, mm-hmm. and if you can't see your miss then you, you, right. you, you can keep throwing rounds all you want, but now you're just, you know, trying to get lucky. Um, and even though the 50 Cal is not as accurate as a three, three, eight, um, at least you can see your misses. And it's, you know, especially if you put like a Roffus round, you know, inside mm-hmm. there, um, you can, you know, you can seeing your, your misses in that environment becomes a lot easier. And even though it's not as accurate, um, you know, I, I at least can, you know, can make a, uh, an informed decision on, on a correction, which right. I just couldn't with a three, three, eight. Right. And did the, it the... really changed, changed the way we operated a lot from long distance.
3: Did, yeah. Did, did the, the reliance on the sniper platforms have to do with, uh, the, um, air support not being as quick as it was in Afghanistan or Iraq?
1: Uh, no, we, uh, we've, we were the only game in town, so we always we, we always got the, you know kind of got what we wanted. Um, it, it has more to do with guys hanging out in windows or hanging out, you know, or, or being under underneath structures that mm-hmm. an aerial you know platform isn't really going gotcha. to be able to to see as well as someone from from, uh, from a ground level. Now, did you guys and. Uh...
2: and a-
1: and if I called it an airstrike, I really have a hard time saying that's my kill. So I'm at least going to try to couple of throw rounds at it before I call it an airstrike.
2: Yeah. Now, between the 338 and, and uh, the uh, the 50, did you guys exper- experiment all with like the 300 wind mags or anything like that, to, you know, for that, that sort of medium range type
1: of? Yeah, the, the 300 Win Mag, um just wasn't a, a platform we used, and, and no no particular reason. Uh, you, know, the, you know the the SF groups, to my knowledge, I think are the only ones that use that 300 Win Mag, um, and it's a great round. I mean, it's a laser round, I man. The 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 um, ballistics of that round is is absolutely great. It doesn't have a great uh, barrel life to it, and unfortunately, the the SF groups purchased that. And They didn't do a good job of having a like kind of a barrel replacement plan. So they mm-hmm. actually had a great. They probably had one of the great medium range or one of the best medium range long guns in the arsenal for for anyone. But with uh, most of the barrels were shot out. And yeah. Ended up not you know, as 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 great as they should have been.
2: Yeah, because I know some that's something the that SEALs use quite a bit, and and they seem to be very happy with it.
1: Uh, do, do they use a three hundred as well?
2: Uh, I I believe so. They they use it in their sniper school. I know so. Okay. Um, yeah,
1: yeah. We didn't even. We didn't even. The only thing we even use. I went to Group Sodic and, um, uh, and Level One Sodic. Um, gosh, I, I got to think of what's, uh, Sifsic or Sifsic if you will, um, Special Forces Sniper Course uh and we only used 308 you know at, at, or, at yeah, that time yeah 308 yeah
2: not 338
3: 308 yeah Oh i said 338. so as a as these deploy you know you're you're going back and forth from syria i mean how did you see the the campaign evolve over
1: time the the campaign was was pretty straightforward really you know even though we we handed off to to other squadrons you know they it it was they really you know um Encountered the same things we did and, and, you know, worked very similarly. So, really, it was just like, you know, we come in and out. It was just, it's just picking back up where you left off. Um, I, in in between rotations, um, I missed the, the, uh, the fall, the fall of Raqqa. So I'm sure that would have been uh, a lot different. And I'll tell you why I feel like it's a lot. It was a lot different. because when I showed up to Raqqa, like very shortly after the fall of Raqqa, I remember driving around that place at night feeling like I was at the, you know, the opening of, of Terminator when there's just
2: yeah, yeah bombed
1: yeah, yeah. out buildings just everywhere in this like, dark, smoky atmosphere. I've never seen um, damage at, at that scale to to a city the way we leveled Raqqa. We absolutely leveled Raqqa, and rightfully so.
3: Yeah, and I have to ask too, while we have you here, I mean, did you have any involvement in the Baghdadi raid?
1: No, yeah, that that was the very first uh, deployment I missed.
3: Gotcha, and uh, so hit Raqqa, and uh, what happened from there? I mean, you you said that you you actually went into the city at one point.
1: Oh yeah. Well, from um, uh, from there, we went back into a more uh, traditional um, uh, kind of high value target right, hunting. Right. So the 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 war, the traditional war, was over, um, and then that that kicked off uh, a much more fun part of of Syria. Where we, we went back into uh, into quick strikes, and a lot of them, and and had a and had a great time. That that was probably my my, my most enjoyable uh, trip. Would have been after the fall of that, and uh, you know some of those guys pretending like they can just put down their guns and <laughs> melt back into the population, and and uh, and the Kurds will just forget about them. Um, nope, the Kurds didn't forget about you, uh, and they <laughs> and they told us where you're at.
3: <laughs> and, and these are the, uh, from the outside looking in, the occasional, like, CENTCOM press reports that somebody flew in in black helicopters in the night and hashed out business with the bad guys.
1: It, yeah, yeah, it, it, it happened a, a lot more than, uh, than, press, than the press, press, press releases. Wind, I would <laughs> I would, there was no need for the press to get wind of, of, of any of it. What What
2: was that like for you and and, you know, your fellow soldiers in the sense of, there there was you know the press might report on it occasionally like we had just had these two very long wars right that were in and out of the media but 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 there was a national awareness about it but then syria comes and and it's not in the national consciousness the way these other wars are but we have troops that are fighting same as we do in parts of africa and stuff but what was that like for you guys
1: uh, I welcomed it I, you know I, well, I shouldn't say I welcomed it I, at at the time I didn't know about it I mean really like you know w- you, when you're in that world like I don't if I don't know what the the news is reporting on or what they're not reporting on you know I, I live in a very I lived in a, in a very uh, in, almost in, in a bubble you know yeah, um, do your job so, go home you're right yeah do your job go home and when I'm home i'm I'm training for my next job. You know, so I don't, you know, I don't have time to listen to see what, you know, to see if the, what the news is reporting about Syria. I, you know, I, I live it in Syria. I don't, you know, I don't necessarily. The, the only time I would see anything on the news is someone like, you know, showed it to us and say, Hey, this is, this is what they're talking about. Um, or if something got leaked, you know, if something got leaked, we, we'd always, you know, we'd always know it. You know, they, they'd always, uh, you know, show it to us that something got leaked and try to. Um, so like, th- but those are, those are far and few between. Would,
2: would, would, you, would they try to like, like scare you guys straight, find out who did it? Like,
1: no, at most, uh, most of the time, uh, those, those leaks would, uh, would have come from, um, a partner force or, um, you know, someone, um, someone at a, at a much you know, higher level in the military that that they you know that knew was way yeah it's you know, not way, some E seven up yeah
2: numbers. it's somebody in the three X or
1: <laughs> that's right yeah yeah it's yeah it's not even someone JSOC related yeah you know, it, like it's someone it's yeah at a at a at a theater like sitcom level that has a relationship <laughs> with Fox News and 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 leaked it you know it's, that's usually where yeah something you know along those lines
3: yeah. So uh, from that time period, uh, is there any other like significant
1: missions that kind of stand out for you? Um, I won't I won't go into great detail about it and I don't mean to, to do that as a teaser, but I'll, I'll I'll say this more or less to kind of set the record straight on it. Um, it's another thing that it's it's funny what what does get news traction, what doesn't get news traction um what should have been a a much bigger story and was it and i'll talk about it because like i said you you can google it um you know john dunbar you know dying in syria um and uh and matt tonro which was a british sas guy which was right next to him when he died should have been a huge news story you know if you think about it i mean you got a, a delta force guy and a british sas guy dying on the on the same target when has that ever happened you know that's that's um that that's uh that was crazy that's never happened in in the history of uh, of either one of our uh of our existence yet in syria that was without a doubt a first um but that ended up being a bigger news story in syria i mean uh in in england because um yeah. you know we had told our people that we uh, that we obviously have you know ground troops and combat operations happening in syria um they were they they weren't as forthcoming uh, with it with the SAS right right uh, and so when the news so when the news hit that an SAS guy died in Syria um, you know a lot of the public was like whoa what's going on here you didn't you guys said that we were kind of there in a support role that doesn't seem like a support role um, one of the the worst misconceptions of that uh, of that um, of that mission is that uh, newspapers reported that it was that it was fratricide that that killed him and it's remember something about that but it was an ied wasn't it and then and there is a problem with it like you use terms like ied which you're right but but people assume like roadside bomb IEDs because that's what you know when you talk about IEDs is what you know it's what what you know what 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 almost always is uh we were dismounted at the time really close to to target uh, to a, a bomb maker's target um he had a he had early warning and his uh a uh like again an ied make, makeshift claymore went off and uh uh john took the brunt of that but it set off his wall charge um and his wall charge is what is what killed matt and that is and that story you know that story is out there but, but generally speaking, it'll say, Hey, uh, it was a fratricide and, you know, he died due to a friendly explosion. They'll, they'll say it in, in ways that that are that kind of really, um,
3: yeah, it's a sympathetic explosion. It's not y- fratricide. Yeah, jump around the yeah. truth. Yeah. Like,
1: I, I even like the way they say that. Cause so let's, it would be like writing a story and saying, um, you know, Sergeant first class Smith died in Afghanistan due to a fuel a a gas tank explosion in his humvee well did the ied set off the gas tank explosion right yes well but the gas tank killed him like that makes you know nowhere in the history do do we ever do we ever say that i don't know the why why we do it here um it was the direct cause of you know of of direct contact with yeah newspaper stories were written yes That said differently, that 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 painted it, insinuated differently. I right. just it, it, it bugs
2: it, me. It's sort of the way fact checkers work sometimes, right? Is, is is they, they, I mean technically, what they're saying that it was an American explosive that killed them is true, but they're miss, but but they're leaving out really how it all went down.
1: But, yeah, that's like that's that's one.
2: It's one way to. Think. Yeah, it's, it's sort of like saying that somebody who died from, you know, from enemy fire died from blood boss. It's like,
1: yeah, they, they did
2: die from blood <laughs> that's boss.
1: That's right. Right. Yeah. yeah. But that's, that's so true. But they and, didn't uh, just
2: start bleeding.
1: And like, and you know, they, the, the, uh, I don't remember which newspaper, but you know, the, the, um, the, you know, in, in England, they, they did like a whole investigation on it and then, you know, wrote a report saying, you know, this is the official report, you know, off of it, you know, and sent it out as, you know, as official record. And again, it's, it's technically true, but I feel like it's, it's wildly uh misleading and do, doesn't do justice, you know, honestly. Right. So yeah. either one of the guys who were, who were, who were, who were, who were warriors. I mean, they were both truly, truly good men. Um, I'll tell you a, a story just real quick about Matt who was an SAS guy. Um, that guy would, uh, he'd have to go on a helicopter every now and again and go, you know, and go visit, you know, other places where, where they were at. And if he found out that we were, we were going on a, on a mission that night, he would do everything in his power to get his helo to come in sooner or see if we would push the mission later because <laughs> he didn't want to miss a single target. He was absolutely addicted to going on missions. And and I love that about him because, you know, that's, yeah, if, that's, that's the way you want every, every one of your guys to, you know, to be. And um, so just, it's very unfortunate that, uh, you know, that he, he lost his life in, in Syria and, and in that manner, because he absolutely was uh, uh, represented his, his unit, you couldn't do a better job of, of, uh, representing those guys. And so how did, um, how, how did this,
3: this start to like wind down for you? I mean, it sounds like you really like rode this wave throughout your career, did some amazing things. Um, and, and you, you had a, a great, you know, 20 years in the military. I mean, what, what was it sort of like for you? Like you, you must have some inkling that like, this is coming. I'm not going to be able to be an operator forever. I mean, what, what was that transition like for you?
1: Yeah, I mean, I was I was deep in my 30s and, you know, almost, you know, a decade at the time on on a team, mm-hmm. um, you know, which my, my team time was was coming to an end. Um, The uh, what what really, you know, kind of did it for me was, you know, after that after that Syria trip, we had we had been uh, we were we we're doing training the way we always do training. um, And uh, I, I was just unfortunate enough to be close to a couple of really big kind of training explosions that, that, that just really, they, they really rocked me. Um, and unlike earlier, you know, there's, you know, I'd been near those size explosions before, but for whatever reason, you know, at this point in my life, you know, maybe it just finally shook something loose. Um, I was, I was having some, some, some real, some real issues. Uh, so we, we'd get, and. And what would happen is almost every time we'd go back to to doing explosive training, like these these mental issues would 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 rear back up almost like, like 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 a re-injury of it. Um, it would get to a point where like just simple stuff, like I you know I'd have to I would I would write notes in my in my locker to tell to tell me where I parked my car, because I would just go wandering out in the parking lot, looking for, it, and it's a massive parking lot, and. And I, and I feel like the first time it really felt odd to me, because usually when you see your car, you're like, "Oh, that's right, that's that's right, that's where I parked my car." But like to see the car for the first time, be like, "That's not." <laughs> Did someone move my car? And literally going in there and starting to accuse, you know, "Hey, who moved my car?" Like I was parked, you know, at the right. And I'm like Brent, no one moved your car. I parked right next to you. That's where you parked this morning. I'm like, "Oh yeah, that's right." Um, you know, and trying to play it off and. You know, I mean, I can go on and on and on, but one of the, you know, the, the weirder stories is, you know, go, you know, take, taking the, taking the wife and kids to church and just driving. And at some point, you know, yeah, having, you know, your wife put you know, her hand on your hand and be like, do, you, do you know where we're going? I'm like, no, uh, no, I don't know where we're going right now. Like, we're all dressed up kind of nice. And so I'm going to guess we're going to church. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know what day it is. I don't know where we're going. And, uh, and I was, my wife's like, here, you're going to go talk to someone Monday or, or I will. (laughs) And, uh, um, and my, my team time was, was, I I was within, yeah, I had one more deployment left, you know, really. I mean, I was, um, so it was, it, it, it felt right. Yeah. And, um, I felt, I felt complete with my career. I mean, really Syria was great, man. I loved Syria. Um, but when I got home from that last trip, I, I don't, you know, just something clicked. I was like, you know what, uh, you know, every trip I couldn't wait for the next one. And it's not that I didn't, you know, didn't have the hunger, didn't want to wait, you know, didn't want to deploy again, but there was a feeling of, of completion, you know, there that had just never been there before. So when it was all said and done, uh, uh, it wasn't, uh, it, to be honest with you, It wasn't it wasn't the hardest transition. It was at first, you know, realizing it's time. But as we started making steps towards that, uh, I was I was kind of excited about the what you know the, the next chapter in life. That's awesome. Do we have uh do we have questions for Brent? Uh,
2: we do. Um, uh, I, I just wanted to say also that uh, air tags. I put an air tag in my car. It, it it works. It works wonders. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
2: yeah. Yeah. Um let's see here. Jackson, thank you very much. Uh was attending selection for the unit more challenging coming from Guard SF. Is Guard SF well represented in the unit? And also how often do you see Marines, airmen, and sailors at the unit?
1: That's that's a good question. Um I I was surprised at, at how many other twentieth group guys were there. Um, there, there was a, there was a period of time where the, the highest, uh. Um, it was a, a short period of time, but it, it, it fluctuates that 20th group had 1 of, had the best, uh, uh, success rate <laughs> at selection. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's, there's, there's definitely no shortage of, or at least at that time, you know, of, of guard guys. Um. And there's yeah, you know, there's an eclectic mix of uh of guys in the unit. Yeah, at the end of the day it'll always be heavy with green Berets and rangers, but there is there's someone from everyone there. I'll just, you know, leave it at that. I won't necessarily talk about the percentages of, of all of them, but uh they're 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 all there. They, and they definitely all show up to selection.
2: Um and Jackson, thank you very much. How different are the cultures
1: between the squadrons? Um Ooh, that's that's Uh, that's a, that's another good question, actually. It, when I first got there, the, um, uh, the cultures were, were, I won't say drastically different, because the, the truth is, if you went back a little bit further, when I was there, some people would say they were drastically different, uh, when, you know, uh, when I got there, there was, there was still, um, very very different they all had their their uh their own personalities uh and and sometimes for better or worse um and uh, by, by the by the really by the time of uh, by the time I got to the end of my career a lot of those uh i would probably say more on a neg you know those negative type uh cultures just uh, had had pretty much all but all but disappeared and uh even though there are still slight differences be- between the the squadrons. It, it, it wasn't as much as it used to be um and then
2: how did you feel about how did you feel about uh dev group and Hrt when you were
1: in uh, I, I i didn't feel about them uh Joe's who, who, are, who who are
2: they
3: <laughs> i think i read kidding. a book about the second one
1: <laughs> um the uh we had a we had a lot of interaction with uh with the dev group guys and um yeah I've, I've done you know i've done you know large-scale training exercises with them they've you know they've come over in a large trail you know they've you know send onesie onesie twosie guys or, or a team over to do large-scale training operations to get that uh that crossover um and we'll just say in various places around the world i've i've had uh one or two of their guys uh, attached to us um so they could get you know experience of where we're at, um, and they were always good guys. They really were. They were always good guys. Um, HRT, I don't never 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 saw them. They just you know completely different mission set. They're generally speaking, they're Conus. We're Oconus. Um, there there was a time we had HRT guys kind of attached to us, but when they were attached to us, they were just evidence collectors. You know, they they weren't they weren't shooters by by any stretch of the imagination and, or, and, nor could they be, they, you know, they haven't gone through our level of training.
2: Uh, Joe's got you. Thank you very much. Uh, did you work a lot with 22 SAS while deployed? I think
1: we got that one. Yeah. I think
2: we kind of got that yep. uh, dog yep. point.
1: And there, there's a, there's another one. And I'll just tell you just a, a, a quick story of how much respect we have with, with, uh, with the SAS, you know, obviously we were modeled after those guys. Um, they they helped us out a lot with our tactics in the beginning. And by the beginning, I mean talking like 1977, you know, Charlie Beck with uh, founder days, and that type of uh, relationship has has maintained for for 40 plus years. So, um, I mean, I'll make up this you know this fictional scenario, but it's but it's absolutely true. If I was in Syria and some you know and heck, I'll make it close to him. A Green Beret, a Green Beret comes and knocks on my door and we're like, hey. You know heard who you guys are? Just want to come over and say hi. I'd be like, uh, "Go walk forty miles, and you can come back and say hi." <laughs> you know, I'd, you know, uh, I'd say it nicer, but yeah. You know, but generally, you know, generally speaking, that's turn it around. Bring a foreigner to my door, a guy who's not even American, but make it a, an SAS guy come and knock on my door and say, "Hey, yeah, you know, hey, mate, you know, I'm I'm with the the two two. I was told to come say hi." I'd open that door as fast as I could and bring him right on in.
2: Invite him for a spot like. of tea. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's right. Yeah the the, the relationship the, the the two units have are, are 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 great and I'll I still talk to some of those guys. Great great guys.
2: Um, dog point. Thank you. Uh, what did you like about your squadron? What was the vibe like? Any funny stories?
1: Um, <laughs> uh, there's. <laughs> there's always, it, it, it doesn't matter what part of this business you're in, you know, you work with the funniest guys you've, you've ever been around, you know, and I don't care if you're a seal, green beret rage, I don't care what you did. You're just hanging out with the funniest guys you'll, 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 you'll ever work with. Um, you know, the, the vibe of my squadron, you know, I think was a very, was a good middle of the road vibe. Like we, we, uh, we were very were very professional when needed to be and um you know could could kick back and, and relax when when needed to be i think other squadrons at times did uh were too professional and weren't very fun to be around and uh you know some of them were uh you know were a little bit more i don't know, say cowboy say cowboyish but I don't, I don't mean to say that unless yeah, in, in, a, in a in a bad light uh but i think we had a good balance of uh, of both and so i i really and and uh enjoyed enjoyed the culture of the squadron i was in so goldilocks oh. would find you guys just right
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah
2: uh nick tch well this is actually for jack will Uh-oh. mike perry ever return
3: uh maybe yeah if he wants to sure we'd love to have him back uh dano uh, mike not
1: perry?
3: yeah yeah mike first perry? first group oh, Mike yeah? perry
1: oh no i'm saying okay the, the the bare knuckle fighter mike perry
3: not not that mike perry
1: okay uh,
2: um dano not in lion's den uh thank you uh delta leads the way big pp 80 second puken dragons Uh, it it was just a comment yeah um and then uh hmm so joe's got you thank you very much Um you can talk or not talk about this obviously uh, was your squadron involved at all with the battle of Kasham in 2018 against Wagner group? Yeah,
1: I was, uh, uh, I, I was in Darzar. It was, uh, it was a good time. Uh, the, dog, there's, there's a news article about it. You can read it.
2: Uh, dog point. Uh, thank you very much. When you went back to HVT raids in Syria, was it business as usual or did you have to change it up?
1: Oh, um uh, more or less business as usual. Um you know, the you know, all the IDs was, you know, definitely more of a thing on um uh you know, that type of, you know, gaining ground, conventional forces, they're pulling back, you know, laying them all in. They they still kept, you know, the knowledge uh of, of that and some of the TTPs. Um but generally spe- generally speaking, it was back to business as, as usual um
2: and i believe that is it so tell us about frcc and yeah. some of the things that you're involved in now
1: uh yeah um uh, when when i got out of the uh, the military i had to figure out what i want to do when i grow up um had no real you know solid plans i, you know, I did a couple like uh, 1099 gigs contracting but all Kona stuff i knew i didn't want to go overseas and contract I'm nothing against any of those guys who do, you know, I just, you know, it's not something that, that I was looking to to do. Had um, a couple former unit guys, uh, you know, start calling me up and be like, hey, we're training a SWAT team here. I need an extra instructor. You want to come out? I was like, that sounds, yeah, I'd, I'd love to go, you know, hang out with SWAT teams and, you know, try to transfer some of this knowledge that's really kind of very uniquely, you know, to us and kind of uniquely to uh, unique to SWAT teams um because they you know they they deal with with barricaded shooters active shooters things like that 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 would happen on 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 our targets and i really enjoyed sharing information with those guys like i really did like i I got a you know i felt like i you know every time i went and taught those guys that i i truly um gave them the tools needed to be just as effective if not more effective and to do business smarter to make sure that they can go home at night. Uh, and I'll never teach someone tactics where, we where, where, where safety is somehow, in like the, the, the lead, uh, of, of, of a reason for, for teaching a tactic, never, never, never a safety ever played a part on that's why we do this tactic, but. If the effectiveness can stay one hundred percent the same, and there is the same end result that this guy dies, yet I can increase your survivability, yeah, we'll we'll, we'll talk about that. Um, and so, I, you know, I got to I got to basically show those guys the lessons that we learned in blood. Like I, I, I really wish I could say that we're so much smarter at the unit than everyone else, and that's why our tactics are so much better. Um, we're, we're, we're kind of smart, um, but the unfortunate truth is we just get to see a lot more targets, and we had to learn it the hard way, like everyone else does. So we just got we just get a lot more exposure to to mistakes and to and to doing things wrong, and some of those things, to be honest with you, it took us way too long to uh, to to change the way we do we do business. Um, so uh, I'm really glad to be able to share that with those guys. That's something that eventually turned into, uh, me and a seal team six buddy, uh, we're going to start or did start the beginning of a, a nonprofit to raise money for police offer for police officer training. Budget is such, such a big deal to those guys. They have no budget mm-hmm. they want to train, uh, you know, they, and sometimes they can get like equipment budgets and sometimes they have more equipment than you think they would, than, that they would have because of certain grants but training doesn't come along with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and some departments don't have the necessarily equipment either. Um, so it's a, it's really a diverse, you know, um, group of people you run into in, in SWAT teams. Um, and I'm not talking about your, your wokeness term of, of, uh, of diverse, you know, I'm talking about just the different, um, the different experience levels, the, the different training, the different equipment it's, it's all over the place. Uh, so we were going to start a nonprofit. Uh, come to find out, I I don't like asking people for money, and that is a integral part of being a nonprofit. Right. It's much. It's a very. It's a key component. It's a key component to a nonprofit. Um, so uh, I ended up starting a you know starting first responders coffee company first. You know that I I'd much rather um, you know sell things, have an exchange for, you know, a of you know, value for a product and then, you know, take, take the money we raised from that and, uh, and put it towards first responders. So we started with the coffee company. We started in November of last year. We've, uh, we've donated back a little over $20,000, uh, in, in less than a year. Uh, and, and the, and the truth is, uh, I, I love saying that number, cause it kind of sounds like a big number for a small business, but, we we get more requests than than i could ever fill right now mm-hmm. so uh we won't be happy until we can stop telling departments that here what we're doing and, and asking for help until we can fulfill all those requests um uh, we will never be satisfied um and so that comes into the the next part of the business um you know we could add another coffee line which would take a lot of work and maybe add a little bit of revenue um but uh we we decided on hey what if we added a whole new product we can get into a whole new um, you know group of uh, of purchasers, and so uh, we started First Responder Cigar Company, in hopes of 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 garnering a, a wider audience, and that's been great. That's been a, I, um, a little bit of a, a selfish pleasure because I smoke two to three of my own stash every day, and so I needed that at wholesale pricing. <laughs> um, but uh, but besides that. You know, if you think half you know half of the country drinks coffee but it but it is a very you know um, you know kind of convoluted market there's a lot of people fighting in that space right even though I don't you know I could argue within first responders yeah it's a there's there's a you know a multi-million you know uh, person audience that you know that that doesn't have a, a product you know kind of like ours catering to them so you know we do have a nice niche cut out in that area. But a small percentage of people smoke cigars but we're the only cigar you know we're the only one of the very very few american disabled veteran owned you know cigar lines and then of course the only one doing anything for first responders um our cigar sales will probably take over our coffee sales in the next couple of months if it continues I'll, I'll,
3: I'll check you guys out brent because we smoke cigars on the show we have our humidor here
1: so i'll, uh, oh, yeah. I'll definitely check out you, what got, you guys you are you got a box coming at you. All right. We'll, well,
2: we're happy to support the cause. And and we encourage everybody else to support the cause, whether it's for coffee or cigars, or I guess you said whiskey, but I guess
1: cognac would go better, right? First. Oh, there fr- you go. Yeah. I, yeah. I kind of have this FRCC, you know, uh, thing going. So coffee, cognac, cigars. Yeah. That Cox, works. Yeah. Company. We'll, we'll work with it. We'll massage that. Um,
2: But you guys can, can find them at F-R-C, uh, coffee.com. That's Romeo Charlie coffee.com Check them out. And it's going to be in the link. Uh, it's going to be in the show description also um, down below. Um, and then also, uh, you started out as a guest on the Antihero Podcast, right? And then kind of worked your way up just through... Sheer talent and charisma.
1: Um, right. He needed a co-host with a small vocabulary, and I was the clear choice. Uh,
2: and um, you guys, yeah, uh, you can find the Anti-Hero podcast on YouTube and also uh, um, on podcast platforms, right? Your your favorite correct. podcast. So tell us about that.
1: Um, yeah, It. it it really coincides with the 1st responder uh, coffee company uh, story. Uh, I think um, if I remember right, the a local news channel picked up a story about us and I just got a random email from, you know, from a, a small podcast you know, saying, hey, uh, I'd love to have you on the show. I'm a Orange County deputy, which is the, the county I live in. So, I was like, well, absolutely. I'll do a podcast with you. I mean, you're in my own backyard. Went over there, did a podcast with him. Uh really enjoyed it. It was a good time. He's, he's a really good dude and, and a first responder. Uh it was an easy conversation to have with him. Uh he had me back on, you know, a, a couple more times and you know, and the times I was on was always the you know, his his bigger shows. Um and uh I don't, you know, not to be edgy, but it's just true and it happened. You know, uh, I, I I ended up I ended up saying something on a 30-second a snippet on a podcast ended up into a much bigger ordeal i'll try to make it real quick um he just he asked me uh he he asked me some off the wall question on a on a first responder topic interview and he goes hey um well are there are there any secrets like you want to tell me about uh you know black ops and i was like no i don't really have any because to be honest with you, most things get leaked so you, you probably know them all anyway. And then he randomly goes, Did Rob O'Neill kill Osama bin Laden? And I just I answered the way I kind of do in a team room, and I go, Rob O'Neill didn't kill bin Laden. It's the worst kept secret in all the special operations. And he cut that as a snippet and posted it as the promo, although it had nothing to do with the uh with the with the episode. <laughs> And it and it goes viral,
3: Brent. You rabble rouser.
1: And, <laughs> and, 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 and Rob O'Neill, did he
2: actually respond to that? Or uh, so for anybody who's curious, you do have to check out like the full episode where you go into the weeds with it, which was episode thirty-seven.
1: Thirty-seven. So the and the problem with that was it was cut as a teaser, an unintentional teaser. wasn't so. It wasn't a <laughs> teaser that was going to that was going to go into something more. That was it. That was just my comment about it. It goes viral and has, I don't know, between all of them, a million views. And, and a lot of people were upset. They're like, you can't just say something like that and not back it up. And there was a lot of that. And, and a lot of people just upset that, you know, I would make such a claim without any, you can't call someone a liar and have no, you know, uh, you know, evidence to it. Um, So it, Took me a little bit. I was like, you know what? They're right. So I, I came back out with a two and a half hour podcast talking about this exact subject, taking open source information from from Matt Bissinet to uh to your guys's podcast, uh to you know, to um I, not not my normal star witness, but uh um uh Osama bin Laden's wife, who was also in the room, actually makes a statement about what happened that night. Uh Hate to hate to ruin a surprise ending, but everyone's story are all the same except for one.
2: So everybody's lying, but Rob.
1: <laughs> everyone's no Rob is the only outlier in here. Everyone else has the same exact story about what happened that night, uh, except except for the guy making millions off of it. I mean, words like stolen valor are being thrown. around but i i I don't know you can use your own words so yeah and
3: i I, people should go check out that that podcast the deep dive that you guys did well in the
2: podcast in general because you guys cover a lot of really cool topics because you talk about i mean a lot of uh first responder stuff i mean
1: and, and you guys
2: you guys call out bullshit where you see bullshit too
1: we we do. Uh, but I invite I told him although my, my co-host Tyler really uh he has you know a very like of a, you know he, he loves punk rock and he has that he likes that culture and he and he doesn't he doesn't mind mixing it up a little bit. Although ironically enough, uh you know that, that comment makes it look like I'm 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 more than happy to stir things up. But the the truth is, you know, I stepped in it and then I had to own it. Um and I I, I told, you know, the you know the antihero podcast when I came on at the end of the day. I really want this to be a platform where we can tell the stories of first responders that i just don't think get told and and and, and there's always going to be the and we'll have those stories on in fact we have one coming you know tomorrow with a, a cop that got that that took around and you know got shot in the line of duty um you know that's very you know very unique to any profession you know there's cops getting shot all over this country and it's a it's an epidemic and it's and it's it's horrible um but you know those those stories are out there but let me tell you there are stories out there that paramedics and ambulance right you know uh you know writers can can tell you that never get a voice and never get to tell you know their will, side of the story. Your mind. they yeah. see some of the yeah. worst stuff day in and day out kids and moms getting mangled in a car wreck you know on the way to you know on the way to school just things that are that are horrible but, you know, they you know, I, I just want to make I want to get a, a, a platform out there to where all first responders. That's great. Uh, you know, can tell their stories.
2: Yeah, that, that's fantastic. Um, and yeah, I mean, like, it's weird that the reporting on police shootings, sh- police being shot, like it's gone way down. But police are like getting shot a lot out there right now.
1: Two police officers in, uh, at, in Orlando just just got shot a couple weeks ago um and and here's and here's a, what's uh i'll tell this here's what's a really cool story usually when that happens it, it or however it's, it's how it seems is uh you know the suspect flees into a a county or you know or an area outside the swat team's jurisdiction so it's just 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 the way it happens not 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 not, not often enough does the local swat team Whose brother and sister you just shot get to go take care of it, but that's exactly what happened in Orlando. This guy wow. holds up in a in a hotel still within the Orlando city limits, and the uh, SWAT guys go to work, and uh, uh, that that guy um, got got the good news that night. Um, I guess I'm assuming he resisted arrest or had a had a had a gun he shouldn't have, and um, yeah. And the good news is he doesn't have to go through the court system. Um, he's our He's already uh, he's already got his sentence, and uh, I got to send those guys a whole box of cigars with a handwritten letter, and I said, "Hey, you know, uh, you know, en- enjoy this. You know, not you know, taking human life is obviously something you should you should uh, should never be you know taken lightly. But that being said, not not everyone here de- de- deserves this life, mm-hmm. and uh, I gave him just a, a long heart for you know a heartfelt letter that said." Like, you know, I've gone through doors, it worked out well tonight, but I know, Yeah. I know what it feels like to not know how tonight's going to work out right before that door opens, Right. you know, and just, you know, t- some, some kind of intimate stuff about it. And, uh, they loved it. They framed it. They smoked my cigars and, uh, you know, and, and they're back at it, take, you know, removing bad guys from the streets, you know, every other night. And, and I love that about SWAT teams.
3: Yeah. Brent. Um, again, man, thank you for doing this tonight. And I just want to let people know uh, we'll be back Monday with William Osgood, who's a uh, Special Forces in Vietnam. And then next Friday we're gonna have Robin Horsfall on the show who was in SAS. Um, so we're really looking forward to talking to those two guys this upcoming week. Uh, Brent, any final thoughts before we wrap up tonight?
1: No, I just I, again I I couldn't be any more humbled. You guys have me on here and and, and thinking that uh, my story is interesting enough to to listen to me run my rap my, my run my trap for a couple. No, of you, hours. you you really were could.
3: great, man. It was really fascinating, uh, and I, I really appreciate you doing this. Yeah, we deeply appreciate your time.
2: What uh, can, yeah. are you on social media much? Can people follow you if they're interested?
1: I, I, uh, some, some habits I, I didn't want to break. Um, the, the only social media I have is, is the business and, uh, and, and I keep it there. And I, I didn't even want to learn that part of social media, but, but I had to.
3: There you go. That's cool. Well, people can go check that out. <laughs> so
2: definitely, uh, check out FRCC, uh, first responder coffee company, cigar company, and soon to be cognac company, uh, <laughs> or, or cerveza company. You'll figure
1: something out. <laughs> yeah. We'll figure, figure something out.
2: Uh, and, uh, check Brent out on the anti-hero podcast.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, yeah, like I said, hit us up when you're coming through New York sometime, you want to light up some stogies. We'll be around. Um, and everyone else out there have a nice weekend and, uh, we will see you on Monday.
2: Yep. And RS, thank you. Thank you. We just saw your donation. Thank you.